From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode number 119. Today's show is brought to you by Encapsula, Foot Cardigan, Eero, and Away. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hi, Mike. I'm just sitting here in the place that I'm always sitting when we do Upgrade. Nothing special, nothing different. Good How stuff. about you? Should we do some follow-off? <laughs> <laughs> I am uh, I am standing right now, and standing is the key. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. Uh, in Mega Office, the, the my new Beta office. Beta 0.2. Yeah, so expect things to sound weird and echoey and everything because uh, I haven't got anything ready, and that's just the way it's going to be today, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm still trying yeah. to settle into this place. Um, and later on in the episode, I'm going to talk a little bit about what my uh, what my setup arrangement is here because it's extremely different. We'll look back on this um, this period, and and it'll be those fond memories of Mike's transitional phase when he was moving and still doing podcasts while moving. But now, you know, yeah. we just we got we got to do it. Got to make it happen. I'm very excited for you. I'm very excited that you're there. Um, you were saying before we get started, maybe you should have taken the week off, but you know what? You're soldiering on. <laughs> I got to put this content out. People are, you know, they want the content. They're demanding it. I they know. want they want to hear our thoughts about Home Alone. They do. That's true. I was going to say you could get a guest host, but then who would talk to me about Home Alone? And I will not accept that. I will not accept anybody else to talk about Home Alone with you. Yeah, I mean, seriously, that's like uh, I've spent how many years not watching Home Alone yeah. and now here here we are and I've seen it. So you know, 25 plus years in the making of me waiting to see Home Alone and you are the person I waited to see it. Well, not see it with, talk about it after I saw it. Kind of see it with. Yeah. Close enough. All right. um, We mentioned last week that we're going to be doing voting for the upgradies for this year and we want you all to be involved. So you will find a link in the show notes to the voting form, the Google form for the third annual upgradies. Yeah. Yeah, so we put in a bunch of uh, nominees, and I think there's a uh, fill-in-the-blank, too. And uh, so you can influence what we talk about in the Upgradies episode, which will be uh, coming out the first of the year. So uh, you've got some time to influence our our decisions. Or the second. Yes, well, I mean, I I sort of meant... colloquially the first ah, of the year but ah. yes it will it'll literally be january 2nd 2017 <laughs> put yeah, that so on your calendars we have as i said we've shortlisted um the things that that me and jason have thought of but we're very aware of the fact that there may be some things we haven't thought of so if you see something that you think desperately needs to be nominated in category let us know and you'll see i put a note right at the very top um, of the form that the uh, the chief upgradians reserve the right to amend the nominee list, and that's purely oh, in case we've forgotten anything. Mm-hmm. So that's right. that, it sounds that very that. formal for for like, oh geez, no, I can't believe we didn't say, you know. But yes, very formal. Chief upgradians decide. Very formal. Well, very serious. I, I thought it was better than just like we're leaving this open because we have terrible memories and we haven't been writing stuff down throughout the year, which is what I'm going to do next year. I've realized that I'm going to start maybe keeping notes throughout the year for the things that mm-hmm. I want to put in the upgradies so I don't forget. Oh. Um last on last week's show we were talk we were talking about keyboard shortcuts on the iPad um and and I mentioned yeah. how I really liked when you press the command key it shows you every available keyboard shortcut 
and there's nothing on the Mac to do this. Well, there's a few people wrote in to let me know about something, which I'm sure I have seen before. As soon as it was sent to me, I remembered it, but I never would have remembered it on my own without the help of the Upgradians. Um, and Al was the first person to write in to recommend an application called Cheat Sheet uh, by Stefan First. And basically, it does just that. It gives you the ability to hold down a key and see all of the keyboard shortcuts available for the application that you're looking at. Um, so it is exactly what I was trying to wish into existence. So it does exist. Yeah, so that's actually a really great... Um, I wonder why that's not a Mac OS feature, right? Like why, why, you know, Apple could presumably, you know, either look at the the contents of the menus and things like that, or it could set up a, you know, some sort of method by which developers would define that stuff um, separately for that particular feature. I'm a little surprised that Apple doesn't offer that. It seems like a very friendly feature and it's very nice on, on the iPad. So I'm a little surprised that's not in Mac OS. I have thought to myself that maybe the reason that it's not there is because Mac applications have so many keyboard shortcuts that it's kind of an ugly <laughs> and confusing Sure. Thing like you, you know, you you open up something like Photoshop or Logic, and you will be swiping pages through pages, and the names that they're given won't make any sense until you actually yeah. act. You know, that that's what I think is that it might be a little bit too entrenched to do this. Like there are some applications like Airmail on iOS. It has like three or four pages of them, and it's like this is too many. Right. Right. So it's like mm, I I don't know what the right mix is there to be honest, because it's good to have the keyboard shortcuts because they're typically hidden right so it's like yeah, if somebody exactly. finds them then good you know bully for them but uh like there are many applications on the ipad that i find keyboard shortcuts for that are not listed in that sheet and i don't really know how that's possible but it happens um so yeah they're they're there just just press all the keys press every key every time you get an application spend four hours pressing every single key and every single command key up, up uh, combination you can think of and write it all down Get a yeah, get a pa- a pad and uh, a pen, and as you're typing, take notes about what seems to happen, and then uh, yeah, that, that's, that's our a recommendation great way to, do it. to you mm-hmm. for yep. for for good good keyboard shortcut behavior. I think, honey, I can't come to dinner yet. I've just moved from command to command shift. <laughs> I'll be a little while. I've got a new application. Block off the calendar for a week. <laughs> uh, pizza I'm watch. Uh, this is a this is a segment oh. of follow up. I'm going to call Pizza Watch. Justin okay. has written to let us know that Domino's, the 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 great pizza chain of Domino's, <laughs> is currently nope. using pineapple pepperoni um, in their in their advertising. Jason, it's uh it's happening. So thank you for, to Justin for letting us know uh, th- that such a thing exists. I mean, I'm always happy to know that people are eating their pizza in this way because it's. It is the superior combination. Yeah. No, that's good. Thank you. And this has been Pizza Watch. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that's much better. Lasers are used elsewhere. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, Mike, we had a lot of arm Mm (laughs) follow-up. Lot, 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 lot. Yep. Uh, There was a big... The big news um, that, honestly, I... Microsoft doing stuff on ARM has been, and working on an emulator has been out there. I didn't really talk about it a whole lot, but it's been out there for a little while. Um, but we, Microsoft has relaunched its ARM strategy. Um, if you may, you may remember that when the Surface launched, there were two different kinds of surfaces. There was the Surface and the Surface RT, basically. Um, 
And they, they went through different names. There was Surface RT and Surface Pro and all that. But there, basically, there are two different kind of surfaces that were made and are now are not. Um, now it's just an Intel-based one for the time being. But the, for a while, they made an ARM version. That was the RT version. And they had a RT version of Windows. And that was on ARM. And the, it included Microsoft Office recompiled for ARM. But classic x86 apps wouldn't run on it because they didn't have an emulator. And then it had all of the modern, you know, Metro styling stuff on it too. And uh, it didn't really, you know, it it didn't take advantage of all that old Windows software. And so people weren't uh, that fond of it and it died. But Microsoft is sort of going back to that again. They're working with Qualcomm. Um, They're going to do uh, not only an x86 emulator for ARM, but a a full-on ARM version of Windows again. And uh, so in theory, you know, you'll be able to buy a laptop next Next year, maybe with a Snapdragon processor like Qualcomm makes for smartphones, and it will run Windows, even though that Snapdragon is an ARM processor, and um, it will be able to run your old Windows software in emulation. So that uh, that's interesting. Um, the thing that I think, you know, emulating x86 on ARM. It's emulation. It's going to, you know, I don't think this changes the story for Apple at all. If Apple wants to emulate, it can do it. Um, If it moved to ARM, uh, you pay a penalty for that, right? Emulation will slow everything down because you're running a virtual chip inside a real chip. But what I find really interesting about this story, when we were detailing all the things about moving to ARM, um, this suggests that Microsoft is now publicly hedging about the future of Intel. And I think that, to me, is the most fascinating thing about this, because Microsoft already tried this and kind of it was kind of a flop, and yet here they are again, and maybe Qualcomm is, you know, is pushing them and funding this. But but I do wonder, given that Microsoft, you know, Windows matters to Microsoft, and that Microsoft is doing this, um, the question I have is, what does that say about Microsoft's perception about the future of ARM processors versus the future of Intel processors? And it's just another log on the fire, but um, I think that's really interesting that that Microsoft is is committing to this. The, the emulation thing is what's interesting to me. I mean, if they consider it important enough, why not just... I mean, I guess they just don't want to have a specific version again, right? Because it ends up being a bifurcated disaster. Yeah, I mean, unless, I, I you know, I think what Microsoft is hoping is that it'll just be, you know, it just works, right? Where uh, developers will start compiling for both. But if you only have the x86 version, it'll work on ARM and it'll run an emulation. Theoretically, an ARM Mac could probably boot Windows for ARM natively, but then run x86 apps in emulation inside of it it's weird um i don't i don't know it's a fascinating thing i think it's really weird that they had windows rt and killed it and now they're bringing it back sort of um but i don't know i don't know i mean it's entirely possible and we talked about some of this stuff last week it's entirely possible that microsoft looks at mobile uh, computing innovation and says these this stuff could make better laptops than what intel is doing that intel has just not done a good enough job with power saving and battery life and all those things and the smartphone you know the smartphone industry is so successful that it's driving innovation um so fast that 
we if we make a version of Windows that runs on this stuff, there will be a whole you know slew of laptop makers who will embrace it and make pretty good laptops that are running on ARM. So, you know, it also could be that, you know, because Microsoft isn't choosing here, right? That Microsoft is like, sure, Qualcomm, um, yeah, we'll make a version for you to try and, you know, sell to Dell and Lenovo and whoever else to make PCs for. We can do that. But, that they, you know, they're also still making the Intel version. And so if it is a flop, you know, the, the PC makers and Qualcomm will, will be the ones who are um, paying the most for it. Yeah, this is a slightly different game. Like I think people are looking at this and pointing to it as a reason that Apple are going to or should do it. But I think Microsoft play a different game, don't they? You yeah, know, like you're well, saying about who who does this impact the most? Well, it's going to impact the, the people trying to sell the products. Yeah. Microsoft is still getting their licensing fee one way or another. Right. There my Microsoft's Microsoft's putting down a bet in a way. And I'm not sure Apple a lot of the things that Microsoft does in public, Apple does in private. I mean, I think you could take that back like all the way to to almost everything. Like, is Apple working on augmented reality? Sure they are. Are they doing lots of demos and have they given their product a name? No, but HoloLens no. is a thing that's out there, right? And so it's like, and that, that has always been the way. Microsoft was pre-announcing hardware and software and features years before they shipped. Sometimes they never did ship. Let me tell you about the search in Longhorn. Woo, it's going to be great. Never oh, yet. Longhorn. That's a blast <laughs> from the past. We went to Europe um, uh, like 2004 or something, and we were in a and b in Amsterdam with this other young couple, and they were, uh, and it turned out the guy was working on search for Longhorn, and I was like, oh man, he's like, yeah. <laughs> Never shipped. Anyway. Longhorn um, became Windows Vista, basically. W- became Vista, uh, yeah. Time. Yeah, but in, in some, in so, sort of. But yeah, a lot like of the it, stuff it, got yeah, dropped exactly. out. Like Copeland, it's, it's not, right? It's not quite like saying Copeland became, a, you know, Mac OS eight because it's sort of like yeah, the, a few of the bits of it did, but and it's not quite the right analogy, but it's it's close. So this is my point: is that you know Microsoft does this stuff in public because of the way you know. Uh, this is a weird metaphor, but like Microsoft keeps some of its organs outside its body, but it's kind of like that, right? It's like Microsoft makes Windows, <laughs> it makes kind of the brain, but mm-hmm. uh, like, uh, and then the computers, eh, well, they do now make Surface, right? But uh, there are all these PC, all these PC makers, and you know they're they're part of this this life form of the Windows PC world, and Apple, it's all inside Apple. Like Apple keeps it all inside, so. You know, is Apple making a bet? I'm sure Apple, we've all talked about it. I'm sure Apple's got Macs that run on ARM processors inside Apple, right? I mean, that just as they did with Intel, where they had the Intel project running for years inside Apple when they were using PowerPC. Um, and I'm sure they're investigating. I'm sh- it wouldn't shock me if they've investigated all of this stuff. Um, you know, my whole thesis was it comes to uh, Apple's disposition about how much effort it's going to be to move the Mac over and if it's worth it, worth their time versus just letting the Mac kind of ride. But um, seeing Microsoft publicly do something like this makes me think, you know, Microsoft's Microsoft's pretty smart and the fate of Windows matters a lot to them. And so you look at this and think, that's another, that that is interesting. That makes me wonder a, a little bit makes me think a little differently about Al- Apple's internal calculation about it if if Microsoft is kind of publicly hedging at this point. This week's episode is brought to you in part 
by our friends over at Encapsula, a cloud service that makes your website faster and safer. They have a worldwide network that can inspect every packet that comes and goes from your website, blocking attacks against your site whilst delivering your content to your customers faster. That's what it's all about, being faster. Every day, websites of all sizes get attacked because criminals use giant botnets to scrape website content. They try and break into databases and bring sites down with denial of service attacks. Then on the performance side, you know, your visitors, they just want to load your website quickly and reliably. And they're Sites that take multiple seconds, they're going to turn people away. Like if you're waiting for something, waiting, 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 you're just going to close the tab and go away. Or if your site is down or unavailable, people can't get to it. So there's nothing that they can do. Put simply, Encapsula is here to solve and prevent these problems for you. They employ a powerful global network to filter out and block all the bad stuff, leaving your website and your customers unaffected. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. All you need to do is go to encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com slash upgrade. This is where you can find out more about Encapsula service and claim your free month. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. Yeah. All right, so a, a little more on arm, I think. <laughs> I thought we were done. Let's continue yeah, I know on you arm, d- shall we? I, I know you did, but I've just got a couple other quick things that are that are a little more follow up. Just um, I, maybe I maybe I just uh, subconsciously want arm to just go away. I, I don't, know. <laughs> don't cut off your own arm, Mike. Um, here we go. Uh, I heard from a lot of developers who say that emulation or, or, or uh, virtualization of x86 and support of x86 is absolutely vital. And I am, like I said last week, I'm sure that it is. Um, I'm, what I wasn't trying to do was say, I know that those people aren't important or something like that. But what I was trying to say is, I I would think that Apple has some idea of what percentage of its device sales are to people who have to have um, x86 compatibility to do their jobs. And the... What we've seen with Apple recently is that if that <laughs> that number might be bigger than we would like it to be at the point where Apple says it doesn't matter, right? I mean, I, that, that seems to be something that, is, that has been going on. It's like what we think of as important may not be what Apple thinks of as important. And I haven't seen any good statistics saying this many Mac users in the installed base need an x86 system. I mean, I hear lots of anecdotes, and I heard from several developers who said, come on, there's got to be millions of them. I go to conferences and at my job, and I see, you know, people who are using Macs and using various virtualization or, uh, you know, systems, and they need x86 compatibility. Um, But those are anecdotes. And it's very easy to get down in a field where everybody you know is uh, doing certain kinds of work and needs that. Um, And that's very important to you, and it's very important to them, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's a very important slice of Apple's market. And I'm not saying it's not important, but I'm saying that Apple may not think it's important. We don't know. And Apple has shown that it is willing to, shown recently, that it is willing to make decisions that it think benefit its products for the, you know, whether it's 95% or 98% or 90%, whatever, of its user base to make the product that they use better at the expense of people who are in that one or two or five or 10% that 
uh, you know, where it's very important to them. And that's just, that's just where we are. So I, you know, I don't, I would be kind of fascinated to see if there are statistics about like how many Mac users, you know, rely on x86 compatibility specifically to do their jobs. Um, that, you know, that's, I, I heard some people say like web development, you know, web developers need uh, x86 compatibility. I'm not quite sure why that is. Um, because yeah, anyway, it's all fine. Anecdotes are great. I don't send me more anecdotes. I don't want more anecdotes. I am curious if there's public information about this. I'm sure Apple knows or has a very good idea of what that, you know, what percentage of its sales are, um, are people who would not be able to buy a Mac if it didn't offer x86. Yeah, I stand by my, my thinking from last time that I have no doubt that there are many, many, many people that do this. Millions, I don't think so, but many, 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 many people that need this Absolutely. emulation stuff. Absolutely. But And they would be very sad if it yep. went away. Absolutely. 100%. But I don't think that it's enough people if Apple want to make this decision that they won't make it. Like I think I think the magnitude of this decision is so great <laughs> that if Apple makes it um, what they're saying is this is so important that we're willing to give that up. Like, yeah. I mean, that, that that's the only reason if, if, if it's big enough for them to make a switch, it's big enough for them to say, you know, we're going to let the chips fall where they may with we're people gonna have to who leave some are people behind. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I just can't imagine a, a meeting room where they're saying, right, so we're ready to, to do this. And then somebody puts their hand up and says, well, you know, 1% of our customer base uses a boot camp you know or like some kind of emulation for something i can't I think it's, oh okay well we'll stick on intel's yeah. roadmap then i just don't see it happening so. yeah i mean it's possible that they would still do something like what microsoft is doing which is use the arm uh in situations where it's necessary which is laptops especially the macbook would be the beachhead there um i think that it's a question my gut feeling is that it seems unlikely to me that apple would long term keep all the Mac on, you know, two separate processor platforms. It seems unlikely to me, um, but it's not impossible that, that it would do it. Um, uh, but, uh, and this comes to another piece of feedback we got, which was, I heard from some people who are like, hey, did you know that the, um, that the iPad has a processor in it? <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that. Uh, I, I, I read that somewhere. Um, my point about that was that the iPad Pro uh, the fastest iPad Pro is about as fast as the slowest Mac. And that's a, you know, so just saying, well, of course they could do it. Of course they could do it. The question is, how do you scale to provide uh, the kind of power and speed that is required by people who have faster Macs than the MacBook? And not saying they couldn't do it, throw some more cores at it, whatever. They could do it. It's just effort. It's more effort. They can't just take a chip from an iPad, pop it in a Mac, and call it done unless they like, I mean, <laughs> it's more than that uh, without going too much into it. So, uh, yes, the iPad Pro has a very nice processor. My my iPad Pro has a processor that in single core operations, I believe, is faster than the 2016 MacBook. Not in dual, not in multi-core. It's a little bit slower, but it's faster in single core. That's pretty amazing. Um, but... That's the 2016 MacBook. You can't, you know, if you're picking and choosing, the 2016 MacBook does not represent the best of the Mac. It represents the worst of the Mac in terms of speed. So, um, yeah, anyway, in terms of new models, anyway, the MacBook Air might be slower. I don't know, but that's a legacy product at this point. And 
yeah. So finally, the, the this is the this is the point, which is all of this argument about details. I feel like, like I said last week, is a kind of moot because in the end, um, I think, like I said earlier, it comes down to the choice Apple wants to make, and uh, I think it's not about can Apple do this. It's really does Apple think this is worth doing, worth the effort of doing, like. Is the Mac and the touch, you know, there are plenty of arguments for both. I, I'm I'm still kind of inclined to say it's more work than uh, is worth it for Apple. Although, you know, the thinking about the Microsoft stuff a little bit has made me uh, pause a little bit more about it. Um, but in the end, this is like, you know, what? how much effort does Apple want to put into a Mac processor transition and what does it get by doing it? And uh, what we saw with the touch bar is Apple is worth, willing to put in a certain amount of effort into the Mac. And so that's a case, that's the case for is like, if Apple would do that, then, you know, why not do more? And maybe one of the reasons that the Mac has been so sluggish for the last couple of years is that Apple is uh, taking their eye off of the ball with Intel because they want to build our Macs. That that's a theory that's out there, but um, I don't think it's supported by rumors, but it's a theory. There are lots of theories. Um, so we'll see. But in the end, I feel like this is, we can debate like all of the different data points, uh, but you know those are data points in Apple's decision making process because Apple can do it if it wants. It's just a matter of if it wants to. And you know I think that's I'm still inclined to say that it's less likely because it would be so much effort to do it at least now. So Apple TV single sign on launched this, this past Joe Steele's week. in the chat room, so get ready. <laughs> So can you remind me what this is? Because like, as far as I'm aware, single sign-on means nothing to me in the United okay. Kingdom. It is a much ballyhooed uh, feature of tvOS 10. And the idea here is your television provider can provide access to content um, that, that you, you get, normally you would pay for on, on, a, on cable or satellite, but you get it on uh, streaming digital as well because you're already paying for it somewhere else. So an example would be, I have Comcast, I have HBO and Comcast. That means that I can go, I can, on an Apple TV or an iPad, I can launch HBO Go and log in with my cable information and it says, oh yeah, you're a, you're a, uh, a Comcast subscriber who has HBO, so you can watch HBO on your devices too. It's great, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's it's legitimately great. It is frustrating when that doesn't work, and don't get me started. There are separate deals for separate providers, so I can do that with HBO, but I don't appear to be able to do that with something like Stars, where they don't have a deal with Comcast, so... I can't do it. When I had DirecTV, I couldn't do ESPN streaming. Now that I have Comcast, I can. But the point here is your cable or satellite login, your TV provider login is like a magic key that unlocks streaming capability for content you're already buying via the traditional TV method, right? That makes sense. Um, So single sign-on, the idea is... I mean, this was one of the complaints that we all had about this uh, not too long ago, which is, um, why is it that every time I launch an app, it asks me to log in with my cable ID and and, uh, password, especially on the Apple TV, where putting in an ID and password is laborious. Um, Shouldn't it be collected somewhere where I can enter it in the settings that like, yes, I'm on Comcast. Here's my password. Here's my ID. Apple TV, you do the work for me. 
Well, that's single sign-on. That's the idea, is you do it in one place. Uh, TVOS knows that uh, it totally works, or or iOS it knows that, it, that here, here's what I know. And boom, it'll just, uh, you say, I want to watch HBO, and it's like, yeah, totally. I already know who you are. I got you logged in. Great. Here, watch HBO. Um, that's single sign-on. And now we have it. Huge asterisk. So basically what it seems like is it has launched kind of unceremoniously. I don't know if this was like, it was like December, right? December was the time frame that Apple gave for this feature when it announced it. Um, it was in the September event, right? And now there are significant portions missing, like TV channels and TV stations missing, tvOS 10 feature, but it didn't get enabled until an update, um, and then they turned this feature on. And this is for iOS as well, right? And it is it is in iOS as well because there's the TV app for iOS, and it's the same idea as it's supposed to kind of connect all of this stuff. Is that out? Uh, yeah, no. Okay. Hmm. I think it's 10.2 okay. that it's in, which isn't out yet, but I think maybe out like this imminently i think maybe this week but it's already out on apple tv okay. um so here it is you can you can sign in the problem is apple has apparently this is bizarre again bizarre tv stuff apple ha- apparently has to make individual deals with tv providers to connect with this because there is an api or something and uh so the question is are these contractual issues or are they technical issues? But either way, none of the major, well, few of the major TV providers in the U.S., the major satellite providers are there, which is says something about them because satellite providers um, feel pressure from internet because they can't really offer high-speed internet. And so all of their customers, if they've got high-speed internet, are getting it from somewhere else, probably a competitor. And so I think they're inclined to make their... Uh, their streaming experience as awesome as possible. But in terms of like Comcast, which I have, or Time Warner Cable, um, these are not these are not there. So so like I can't use single sign-on even now. And then what's worse is the apps also need to support single sign-on. <laughs> they have to be updated to support this feature. And only um, you know twenty apps have been supported. And and there some of them have only been updated on one of the platforms. So like A and E is iOS only, and uh, FX Now is TVOS only. Oh so it is uh, not all there yet. It's a great idea. I, the thing that gets me, and I guess this is why I keep thinking that that either Apple just wants everybody to to um, do what they want um, to take their orders, or um, or there's something contractually obligated here. Because the thing that that, that frustrates me about this is like on my Mac. When I try to watch any of these things, it just puts me at a, it just it takes me to a Comcast login page where I put in my username and password and then it does a redirect with a key that basically says yes this person is validated and then I'm through on whatever service it is. And I keep thinking to myself, why doesn't Apple just do that in the background? Like I know that that's scraping basically, but you could totally do that and just like, there's a form submission. Oh, Comcast, form submission, get the key, take it over here, put it over here, boom, we're done. But nope, that's uh, apparently too complicated or too uh, hinky. So instead we have, uh, everybody needs to update their stuff to use our single sign-on system. And the answer is not everybody did it. 
I just I think I'm just struggling to get my head around why this is such a feature worth doing anyway. Uh, well, I mean, it's 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 a very Apple approach, right? I mean, the idea is if you, you know, it goes back to our complaints about getting set up with the Apple TV when the new Apple TV came out, which is you keep putting in your password and it's frustrating. This solves, that's a problem on, at least in the US, on, on TV apps, on Apple TV, is you have a single login that all of them need. To, to do to give you access which is your your tv provider login whether it's a traditional cable satellite or even something like sling which is a sort of like a an over-the-top um you know virtual cable service that mm-hmm. just go, comes over the internet um you have a you 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 need that one password and uh and username to get activate all of them so the very apple thing to do is to say just give it to us and we'll take care of the rest and in in a in a perfect world, that is what it should be. Is like you should be able to turn on your Apple TV and it says, "Hey, hey, buddy, it looks like you're on uh, cable. Why don't we uh, why don't we log you in and then uh, we'll that'll unlock all the content that you get on Comcast." I'm like, all right, I'll do that. And it's like, yeah, okay, awesome. We know we know who you are and we know you're on Comcast and here are the apps you can use and. If you launch them, they show you everything that you you have access to, and we're done. And that that would be great because right now the experience is, oh, let me go get the HBO app. Let me launch the HBO app. Oh, now it says I need to get my iPad <laughs> and go to a web page and put in the code I see on screen and then log into Comcast and uh, and now wait a minute and now it works. And then I open up the Showtime app and it says, hey, go get that iPad because now you need to do this here and and so on and so on for every app that you use. You know, Then you move to the ESPN app and it asks you the same thing. That's the idea. Why did they launch this now if they're missing so many providers? Why didn't they just delay it? I mean, you know, it's easy to poke fun right now, but they delayed AirPods, which is significantly more important. Um, I don't know how many people are going to be like desperately waiting for this thing and then it launches and they can't use it with the providers anyway which leaves a bird like a kind of like a bad experience where people may never come back to it i think it's i think it's a couple things i think it's apple wanting to reward the providers that have done the work because that's a good point this has been in the offing for a while and And maybe it puts the onus on the people that haven't done it to do it right because now customer support is going to go out you know Mm -hmm. like people are going to contact like whomever and just say hey why haven't you done this kind of thing yeah so i think that's it i think i think that's exactly what it is it's one to reward the people who've done it and two to put pressure on the ones who haven't it reminds me of apple pay in that way right like there were they didn't really have everywhere that apple pay is launched it hasn't launched with all the providers that everybody would want and i think apple just push it out there so it puts public kind of pressure on the banks and the financial institutions to get it supported it's a very Apple thing to do it, and it's not it's not limited to Apple. But I think this is a very common way to do it, which is you know you're trying to get you're trying to get ten players to play ball with you, and five of them play ball with you, and you and the the five who've played ball are like, come on, you know, let's go, and you, and at some point you're like, oh, yeah, let's go, and and you, you know, and then you name and shame the ones who who aren't uh, playing ball, and maybe they come to the table, and maybe they don't. I just broke that metaphor. Maybe they come to the field to play ball. Yeah, no. well, and maybe they don't, but <laughs> no. um, yeah, 
they, they keep their organs inside their body, though, Mike. Oh, That's please, the important thing. Do we have to keep thing. going back to this? <laughs> oh, sort dear. of a dialysis machine of mm-hmm. cable TV. Anyway, yeah. On the football field. So that's the story. It's, it, it is weird, but um, I think this is Apple's lesson for uh, working with the entertainment industry in general is, you know, we, we, we talk a lot about Apple wanting to control everything. And <laughs> boy, is that true? And, and not have to rely on anybody else for anything they do. And this is a case where they have to rely on all sorts of other people. And it is one of those reasons why Apple's efforts in TV are not particularly Apple-y. There are other, I mean, I'm not going to put it all on their their partners. The Apple's done all sorts of non-Apple-y things with the Apple TV. But this is one of those cases where it's like, you know, there's no alternative. Apple has to cut deals. Apple has to work with third parties. And they're not necessarily the shiniest and most technically savvy of third parties. And so we get stuff like this. And it's it's messy and ugly and not very Apple-y. But Apple wants to be on, you know, wants to have this product and be in this space. And this is the kind of... Um, this is the kind of stuff that ends up happening if they can't, you know, compounded by the fact that Apple probably has some very particular uh, approaches to their partners and some and has made some very specific decisions about what's good enough for them and not good enough for them, which can benefit uh, their products and frequently does. But it can also uh, lead to uh, problems dealing with other people. All right, I want to shift gears here a little bit. Jason, I'm read you a quote that Tim Cook gave uh, to Reuters. Our data shows that Apple Watch is doing great and looks to be one of the most popular holiday gifts this year. Sales growth is off the charts. In fact, during the first week of holiday shopping, our sell-through of Apple Watch was greater than any week in the product's history. And as we expected, we're on track for the best quarter ever for Apple Watch, he said. Cook did not respond to any requests for specific sales figures for the gadget, Reuters said. Yep. Tim Cook's doing his best Jeff Bezos impression. <laughs> he really is. Uh, off the charts. I made a new Bezos chart. People can check it out. We'll put it in the show notes. I do uh, want to point out that on your chart, the sales the sales stay on the chart. Well, so somebody called me on that, and and I did sh- I did re- on Twitter I did release the the earlier version of the chart where it was off the chart. But what we do is we just update the chart, so then the sales growth is on the charts. But you know, initially it starts off the charts. And then you fix the charts, and then it's on make the, the chart bigger, again. right? You got to make the chart bigger. That's the real exactly. problem. If things exactly. keep going off the chart, just make the chart bigger. But it sounds more fun to say sales growth is off the charts than to say sales growth was so big that that our charts were broken and we had to fix them by making them bigger. That's not as good. Know. I think there's something that's kind of cool in saying like sales growth was so big we had to create a new chart to contain it. Yeah. That's that's right. I mean, it's less it's less snappy, but uh, sales growth is so good our charts are all larger now. Right, you know, but again, off the charts. It's fun to say. I did make a chart uh, with the fact that uh, things are are the best yet, <laughs> and there's no scale because, like Jeff Bezos talking about how great Kindle or Amazon Prime or whatever is doing, he likes to show charts where the the numbers start low and they get, go high, but we don't know what the numbers are, and you just have are left to guess and uh with the apple watch because apple watch is in other and so there are lots of estimates and um and the people who look at the other revenue line and i in that link in that we'll put in to six colors i also uh did a chart of the other revenue and lots of uh smart people including uh, horace did have done the kind of like extrapolation based on this of what you know what apple watch sales should be 
and based on like changes in the other revenue line and um and th- this all came about because IDC the analyst which is yes uh was owned by the same people who owned my company that I used to work at IDG really in, like innovative name and structures there yeah it's the yeah <laughs> international data corp the analysts uh they uh yeah tell me about it anyway uh they they said basically oh apple watch sales are terrible um and uh all the analysts who've been looking at this are like no um we don't think that that's actually really accurate and then it was enough of a kind of a hubbub that that uh we we ended up with a tim cook statement Mm. to reuters saying no actually they're pretty great and we have to take them at their word and but if you look at the other figure um they people feel like that was a the idc report was wrong and now we've got tim cook on the record as saying uh you know it's doing great and we're gonna have the best quarter yet so even though the chart is like last year it was cool and this year it's better (laughs) and we don't know what those mean um at least that was you know that's that's all we've got to go on is that and extrapolating from the other uh revenue line so like i know why I know why they do this. I know why Tim does this. I know why they're not giving figures. I know why he's saying it's better than before. But there is like the logical part of my brain that's like, why even bother saying it? Like, if you're not going to tell us what it means, or does it mean you sold two this time and you sold one last <laughs> time? Because it might as well be that, you know? They say it's competitive, which I, I, I kind of don't buy either. I'm not what quite sure. What does that mean? The, I think the reason, I mean, look, the number one reason you do it is... um because you don't you know you don't want to talk about numbers and you don't want to share them in case you're not you're not happy with the numbers it's it's um but you know what <laughs> this goes back to something else public companies have to disclose information they hate it they don't want to disclose information but they're, they're above a certain level you have to break out revenue for products and as long as the apple tv and the apple watch are below that uh, that number apple can roll them into other and not talk about them and they rolled ipod back into other once it went down below that level and uh, i i think what this says is culturally public corporations <laughs> are not interested in sharing any information that they're not forced to by law. <laughs> Bottom line, I think that's it. And I, I think, uh, you know, Jeff Bezos is a, is a little bit like that too, where he can get away with those charts, and so he does. It's frustrating. Uh, my concern as a, as a watcher of Apple is they're going to start to do this more and more, try and get away with it like Bezos does, and uh, that I don't like. Because I like yeah. to know all the numbers. Well, yeah, we we want to know, sure, totally, and it leaves the analyst to guess. Um, th- the problem with playing this game is that you have to do what he did, which is when a report comes out that says, "Wow, Apple's numbers are really bad," but Apple won't give the numbers, then you're you're forced to you know make a statement to Reuters saying, "No, actually, they're very good." Tim Cook out, and then and then go back into your you know into the mothership. Return yeah. to your yeah. turn the cloaking device back on. But that's the only that's the game you have to play. If you're that's not going to disclose the it, numbers, yep. this is what you have to do. So, so you can either disclose the numbers, or you can, or you have to manage expectations like this, or and 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 dribble out little tidbits here and there, which. You know, we we've been. That's one of the reasons I pay attention to those analyst calls. Is that there are good little tidbits in there that they will mention, and you write it down. And like Horace Deju has done that for a long time, where you know he's tracking. I think he was tracking iOS activations or something like that. And it's like that's not on any chart. 
no. but they mention it from time to time. And you end up building a chart that's like they on, you know, uh, for a long time, it was at WWDC, they'd mention it. And occasionally they mention an analyst call. So you have these charts that are like, well, in June, they said that for this period, it was this. And in, in September, they mentioned that for this other period, it was this. And you kind of like, from that, you try to extrapolate what the numbers might be, um, which is hard. But sometimes that's what we all have to do because they're not going to share the numbers. Yeah, and then once you've got them, you know, once you get them every year or every 18 months or something like those iOS activation things, you can draw, you know, you can draw lines between them. You can make projections on them. You know, that, that stuff, it, it helps inform. So that's why it is important. You know, the, 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 you know, the jokes, like the more color jokes, you know, give us more color on that is actually very useful stuff. But for whatever reason, Apple decided that this is a product that they're not going to give information on. And, uh, I don't know. Like, I feel like when 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 they do that, it must give an element of question in the to the analysts, right? Of like, do you not believe in this product enough that you don't want people to know how many are selling? Like, what you know, it's got to. It must raise those kinds of questions, which probably put it on the back foot with put like put people on the back foot anyway, so that they're willing and ready to write these articles saying that it must not be selling well, right? That's my only thinking around this. It's part of the game. I mean, this is the challenge. They obviously had this argument internally and decided that, you know, let's just, it's a brand new product. We don't need to disclose it. We don't know how well it's going to do. Let's, let's, because the other side of it would be if they, if the, if the numbers were flagging, uh, people might start freaking out and saying, oh no, why do you keep doing this? And you know, the, the shareholders get mad and all of that. And this lets them kind of build it and grow it in secret and let it kind of bubble away because they think it's important long-term, even though the numbers in the short term might not look great. Uh, you know, I, I, I can see both sides of it. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> you know, all the benefits you get out of hiding your numbers, <laughs> Uh, there's there's the downside of people will then speculate about your numbers and sometimes they will speculate badly and you have to deal with it and people will wonder why you're hiding your numbers and you'll have to deal with it and you know I I agree with you but that it would be better if they released this stuff but I don't work at Apple and if I worked at Apple I might have a very different uh, opinion about it I mean people want to know. <laughs> People want to know lots of things. People want to know how many Relay members there are. People want to know how many Six Colors members there are. People want to know how much money Stephen Hackett makes from his YouTube channel. And, you know, we don't tell. The reason I don't do Patreon is because I'm not interested in a system yep. that shows you how many people are giving me money. That's why we not don't Not interested. It. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. And so I can see, I, you know, it's easy to, to be curious. <laughs> but if you're the person on the inside, you've got lots of reasons to not share that information. But there is always going to be a... Uh, uh, you know, a, a trade-off. So there's some real-time follow-up. Uh, iOS 10.2 is out now. So the TV app is now out as we're recording. Um, and there the TV is. app for the Apple TV is now out as well via a software yep. update. Um, so it's all out now. Enjoy so your single uh, sign-on, everybody. <laughs> enjoy the new emoji more than anything else. Yeah. Oh, the emoji is so good. All yeah. the new ones. They changed the peach back, though. They changed it and then changed it again, you know. They changed it from... The re like a peach-looking thing to something that looks more like a, a bottom. Yeah, um, because people were using peach to mean butt. Well, they but do anyway. You know, they cha I, I think guess. they changed it from what people considered to look like a butt to look like a peach. Although I think the one that they changed it to looked more like a butt, but now they've changed I, it back again. 
I think they should prioritize making it look like a peach. If it also looks like a butt, then that's great too. That's This has been Emoji Talk with Mike and Jason. Enjoy. No, I, I think it's important to have an emoji that looks <laughs> kind of like a butt. You know? Yeah, well. I'm going to link to a Macworld article <laughs> that okay. explains all about the peach butt in case yeah. you're interested. So there you go. I'm, I'm not, 10. but 2. some people may be. Yeah. Some people may be. There's lots of great, there are lots of great emoji in this update. Um, yep. So you should go check them out. There's a lot of uh, gender stuff, which is fantastic. There's a lot more professions. Um, and there's also yeah. whiskey and bacon. Mm. What more? Seriously, what more could you want from your emoji? I, I don't know. This week's episode is also brought to you by our friends over at Eero. These days, everything in our homes requires an internet connection. I will tell you right now, as somebody who is moving into a new home, I am realizing very quickly how much stuff I have needs to connect to an internet connection because I have a new internet connection, right? Like I have a new ISP. So I'm reconnecting everything in my house again. You know, you're looking at thermostats, light bulbs. We're looking at getting some like some a lot more smart home stuff here, security cameras, everything. And we're looking at using all these services that take so much bandwidth these days, all these streaming services like Netflix. Wi-Fi is the foundation for all of these things in our homes because nobody wants like a million cables running around their house connecting to all of these many, many devices. And the thing is, Wi-Fi at home it's broken. Connections can be inconsistent. They can be slow. They can be unresponsive. And to get the best possible connection, you need a distributed system that can provide you with a connection all over your home. And this is something that has been so expensive to do in the past. But with Eero, you can get an you can install an enterprise-grade Wi-Fi system in your home in just a few minutes. This isn't like just simple extender technology. Each of Eero's little devices that they make, each Eero has two radios inside, so it keeps your connection fast and in sync. In your whole home on one network name, which is a really good thing. I mean, I know a few people that have tried to do this and they have multiple networks at home, which kind of sucks. Like somebody comes to your house and like staying over for a couple of days. You're like, yeah, you've got to connect to this one here and this one here and this one. No one wants that. Eero makes it all simple. Jason, I believe that your house is set up with Eero's. Yeah, I have three here in That's my good. little house. And th- how does three work for you? Like, do you, do you find that since installing the Eero, you've had a better connection in other places that you may not have had before? Yeah, well, one of the challenges here was always that um, the internet comes in at one end of the house, so the other end of the house would not get a very good signal. And so there was always a challenge of like wiring. I, I ended up with a wired connection to sort of a central location in the house, but even there, it was not, um, the coverage was not great. And now uh, I have one in our back bedroom and one in the center of the house and then one out here in the garage and oh, nice. ev- everything is now covered, which is uh, one of the one of the nice things about the multiple, the mesh approach to Wi-Fi. We've spoken in the past weeks about the potential for Apple to be getting out of this game, right? So there are big companies that say they don't want to do this anymore and then you get a company like Eero comes along who's created a new way to make all of this work and it works. The average house in the US is easily covered by two or three euros like Jason has. So you can get a three pack as a good starting point. But if you live in a larger space and you need more, you can add up to 10 in total. And because of their 30 day money back guarantee, you can always return one or more of them if you end up not needing that many. So say you buy five and you only need four, you just send one back and you'll get a refund on that, which is awesome. If you want to find out more about Eero and get one for yourself, just go to Eero.com. That's E-E-R-O.com. And because you listen to this show, you will get free expedited shipping. You just need to enter the code UPGRADE at checkout. Thank you so much to Eero for their support of this show and Relay FM. I actually spoke with Eero a couple of days ago and uh, I think business is booming <laughs> for them right now, which I'm really pleased about because I know it's a good product. 
but it, it was quite funny. It's like, oh yeah, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. All right, so mentioned at the top of the show, Jason, that uh, I am in a completely new arrangement here. I have. It's something that I'm, I'm very stressed out today recording with you. Not because of you. Yeah, you know, if anything, you're calming me down. But everything is different here. Um, I tried to turn my iMac on before we started. I just set it up, and uh, I, I couldn't log in <laughs> because my keyboard wasn't working. <laughs> Well, you're not an authorized user for that uh, location, obviously. It would seem so. Uh, I <laughs> use the Microsoft Sculpt ergonomic keyboard, uh, uh-huh. the one that Marco uses. I, I got it in his recommendation because I was getting some RSI problems a couple of years ago, and it really helped. Um, and it just wasn't working. I have since uh, had Adina go to the local store and get me some batteries. Now, the store is only downstairs. Uh, she was very kind to go and do that. And I've changed the batteries in my keyboard, and I'm happy to report that somehow the batteries died in the last two days. Um, huh. I don't know why that has happened, um, but those batteries, <laughs> I've had that keyboard for like two years. It's the first time I've replaced them. So that's what it is. So uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a photo that I took of my setup just before we recorded, and you will see that there is a MacBook, a MacBook Adorable, sitting where the keyboard should be, and I'm currently using the MacBook. This is part of my continued stress of this episode, is I am recording onto a machine I have never recorded a show onto before. So who knows what's going to happen? Uh, but you can go there and you can take a look at this. Because the reason I wanted to talk about this is I tweeted a picture of this stuff the other day. And I had so many people asking me questions. Like, this reminds oh. me of what happened with you uh, oh, yeah. people, about people what love, the boxes are. People love asking what products you're using and all of that. They they love it. It's Also great. because of because of my work, I use a bunch of really weird things. Yep. Right? Like boxes and stuff with lights on them that you may have no idea what they are. But, and, you know, quite frankly... I, I don't know half of what I have. <laughs> I was looking at your picture and thinking like, okay, I think I know what that is, but it goes to this, it looks like it goes to this other thing. I wonder what that is. I was doing the same thing. Absolutely. So uh, you can go look at it in the show notes, but I guess I'll start with the base, which is the desk. So I am using an Ikea, it's called the Beckant, B-E-K-A-N-T, sit-stand desk. Am I the corner version? Because I've always wanted a corner desk. I don't know why. I just like the idea of it just wrapping around a little bit. Now, before anybody writes in to tell me about all of the desks that I should have bought instead of this one, all of the wire cutter top picks are not available to be shipped to the United Kingdom. Uh, They are all US-based, which is a frustration I have with the wire cutter. um, That they they should, I think this should be part of their consideration process, uh, that they should at least offer something. They do mention the IKEA desk quite a lot in their in their article about sit stand desks, um, because there are a lot of people that kind of swear by this thing. Now, my thinking was, this was a desk I knew I could buy. If it sucks or breaks, then I'll get a new one later. But like, since you know, I, a couple people asked me about the desk. Some people have got this and say they love it. Some people have got this and say that they hate it. Which is basically how all conversation on the internet tends to go. Yeah. Um, but my my what I wanted was I wanted a desk that was sit stand and motorized that wasn't yep. going to cost me a million pounds because there are a couple of companies companies use companies that would ship one to me on a boat and I'm not going to do that that's that's bonkers I I have so I got one when I was sitting at my home office and it was um, actually Lex Friedman our buddy uh, recommended it and uh, it was relatively inexpensive and so I set it up. And it's fine, but I, I very much had the same approach that you did, which is if it 
you know, if it's not great, I'll get another one. I was like, literally, this was a desk that I bought because I wanted to set up a home office Mm -hmm. and I hadn't even gone out on my own yet. This was, remember, I set up my home office like more than a year before I left, right? As a work from home and a hedge if I wanted to quit my job. And so I wasn't going to buy super fancy. Now I have to say, so then my father-in-law saw it. I was like, oh, sit-stand, adjustable uh, desk. Very interesting. Motorized. Very interesting. And, of course, the next time I visited um, them in Southern California, he had bought the, I believe, top-of-the-line wire cutter choice adjustable sit-stand desk. And I will say this. I saw it and how it works, and I was like, oh, yeah, mine is cheap. <laughs> like yeah. his is really, really great. And I've, I I think that from time to time, like one of these days, given that this is now my desk 100% of the time, one of these days I might get, I might splurge for a nicer, bigger, fancier desk. But the fact is this thing has served me for whatever, three, four years now. So, um, but, but yeah, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad I'm, I, Wirecutter, I mean, the challenge with getting products um, availability in different countries is 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 different, and and so like the question is, could they do like Wirecutter UK <laughs> or what? Well, it's it's hard. It's hard. My feeling is just like have if if you've got an entire content, if you've got an entire category with like five picks in it, and none of them are available outside of the US, just find one. Yeah, and call no, that's, it the that's international or the European pick, right? Yeah, that's a good point. So, because you know, I've seen pictures of these, and I know how much better they are than the one that I have. Like, you know, like, I've already found something I don't like about it. Like, I've got it standing right now, and, and it, everything wobbles a little bit—not a lot, but more than I would like. Now, I wonder if that's just something about standing desks in general, like, or, or like coming from my old desk was like this huge, heavy glass thing, uh, you know, and and it didn't have legs; it had glass that went all the way around the outside, so that thing was never wobbling. Because it didn't have like a central point, it had like it, glass went all the way around the the short edges and into the longer edges, so it was like super stable. So I don't know if like just because of the way these legs are, like because they they come into the middle, right? They have like feet and then they have like one pole each on each side that goes up to the middle that is making it wobble anyway. But hey ho, the thing is, though, I'm standing right now, which I have never done. Um, and I and we're an hour in, and I kind of like it because when you're talking, I can just go over here, Jason, and just like walk around a little bit, which is which is kind of a nice thing to be able to do um, whilst I'm recording. So that's cool. I, I'm happy with this, the standing desk thing. Um, Mike, I figure... it's all about the length of your headphone cord. That's okay. Hang on a second, then, because I'm also standing right now. This is as far as I can go, which yeah, is pretty far. Go- I can't go very far unless I pick up my like USB interface, but that's uh and mine 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 wiggles a little bit too. I have my iMac and my microphone on boom arms, right? So if yep. I stand here holding the desk and I shake it a little bit, everything wiggles. But it's the thing is, it like, I've, it shouldn't be a problem because the shock mounts and everything that I have built in here, you shouldn't hear anything. Right. But it's just frustrating. Like I'm talking right now and I have my elbow on the desk and my microphone is just like bouncing up and down in front of my face, which is I think this is just going to be the downside of this uh but yeah so that this is like a different thing for me and it's about like i've just i've just realized like how much time i am at my desk and and it's not i don't spend the whole day at this desk and i won't spend the whole day at this desk look i'm getting a sofa for this office and we're having a sofa in the front room where when i'm not recording i will probably be there a lot of the time but when i am at my desk when i am recording it is hours right like 
Me and yeah. you will probably be on the phone for about two and a half hours today, and then I will spend maybe another hour editing immediately after. Like, uh huh. Th- and I don't get up, right? Like, especially when we're recording. Like, I'm not leaving the room to go to the bathroom or get a glass of water, right? Because that would be kind yeah. of rude to you. Like, I'm, I'm here. I'm sitting here. So, like, it's, it's just me thinking that maybe what I will do is, I'm sitting down. I mute my microphone. I raise the desk. I unmute. You know, and yeah. then, now well, I'm standing. I- Right. I started I started this podcast sitting and now I'm standing right during one of the ad breaks I think I I just muted it and lifted you know I I it's mechanical but I put it all the way all the way up and now I'm standing it's great and and that is right so then you've got a different you know a different feel for it breaks up the hours that you're there you don't just sit in the desk it's great get a get a um floor mat if you don't have one by the way for my for, for me to stand on yes why is what's good about that I see people um, talking about this. It is good for your, yeah, it's good for your, the ergonomics of the situation. Having, having something a little squishy to stand on instead okay. of uh, just a hard floor, even if it's, even if it's carpet, it's, uh, you, you should get a, a little mat. I have, I started with like a little, um, a little like a yoga mat that I folded over. And now I have, I think what is the wire cutters uh, choice for a standing mat, but anything that, that gives you an anti-fatigue mat, I think they call them, um, Something that that you can stand on that's a little bit uh, squishy. Yeah, I have. I I think I have their flat mat choice, or at least it was at one point. But um, it's it's good. I I I have used. I've stood here without it, and it uh, my legs and feet get uh, angry at me much faster than with the squishy one. All right, I've put um, the link to that in the show notes, so I'm so yeah. sure I'll have to look, and nothing will ship here. And then, <laughs> and, and I then yeah, you'll, you'll probably find- get a mat sent. I'm sure at the very, like I said, at the very least, you could get like a yoga mat and fold it over and stand on it, and that would be something. But this would be one of those things that I could get sent to someone and pick it up. It's yeah, true. Because it's small. I could fit in a suitcase. I, I don't know. Mine wouldn't fit in a suitcase. <laughs> Interesting. But. Interesting. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of them. They're like these big, huge plastic things. Interesting. I'll take a look. See, I would want something that uh, wouldn't interrupt the chair. Right. Well, I, I, yeah, I have to roll my chair out of the way and drop it down and then pick it up and roll my chair back in. That works. That works. I'm sure I can work. Right. So the, most, the biggest question that I got was, what are the boxes? Mm-hmm. Right. And I have lots of little boxes on my desk. So you take a look. I'm going to go uh, from this image from the right to the left because it's less exciting on the right. Okay. So, let, let me let me stop you then because I think, right. the, is it is it... Oh, maybe it's maybe it's in one. This is a different picture than the one that I saw on Twitter. But it is. Uh, so you have a headphone amp on this desk, right? Yeah. Did I correctly go identify? From, yeah. Okay. I'm going from far right. Okay. Though. I played this game too, and I got that one right at least. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Right to so left. F- far right is two USB hard drives that I have connected to my Mac all the time via the. Currently, the okay. Just so you know, the cable management is not done yet. I literally took all of this out of box ten minutes before we recorded and put it on the desk. Um, so I have uh, just two USB hard drives. One is what I just call cold storage. I, I just put stuff on it. Like there's not really any organization to it. I just put things on it. Um, it could be like video files, TV series, that kind of things. Like a terabyte or something. And uh-huh. that it's like it's like storage. I never even think of. It's just always connected. The other drive is my time machine drive. So I, I just have that okay. just sitting there. And the Time Machine drive, I think both of them are spinning disks, actually. Uh, it was funny because I, I plugged this in before 
plugging in the power to my USB hub and the and the uh, spinning one of the spinning disk drives was very unhappy about that. It was making a clicking sound, which I've not heard before, which could oh, be a problem. Not, not good. I'm going to do. I will uh, do some uh, disk utility work on that afterwards. I mean, it's not an important drive, right? It's just like what time machine goes on to. I can just get a new drive and just rebuild time machine again. It's not. It's not a huge problem. Plus, now I can use online backup. So, hip hip array. I cannot wait to get this thing running on Backblaze because right? I've just not been able to use it because of my internet connection. So I'm very excited to start doing online backup here. Um, right, so if we move in now, we have my headphone app. Now, this is by a company that... Uh, the, the company's name is Shita. Now, Marco takes liberties with this. Yes. Because it's S-C-H-I-I-T. Now, I went on their website... And they, it's very funny, actually. The, the homepage of, of their website, uh, it says, you know, th- yes, this is the name of our company. <laughs> this is how it's spelt, but it's actually pronounced Shita, not like uh, the, 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 the naughty word, which I will not say. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a product called the Magni 2. And all this is is a headphone amp. Now, the reason that I use a headphone amp is because the USB audio interface that I use, which is the box that with all the lights on it, the black box that sits underneath the iMac, that's called the USB Pre 2. Now, this is what my microphone plugs into, uh, and then I can adjust some levels, and then I can, because my microphone plugs in by XLR, it's not a USB microphone, and then I take the USB cable and plug that into my Mac so I can record from it. Now, the the sound that comes out of the uh, the USB Pre 2, I find to have quite a bit of interference to it. So I use the 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 Magni 2, the Shita Magni 2, as a way to give me clear sound, um, which I've I, I found it very frustrating. I was I was getting a lot of interference coming straight out of the USB Pre 2. I don't know if you have this problem, but I no. have real bad problems. I've known some people that do and some people that don't, but just plugging the headphone straight in would would either give a, a low whine uh, or uh, GSM signals would uh, interfere with it. It was very frustrating. So I use the I use the headphone app for that. So just just before we move on, because I want to stop, I, this is some real time follow up from me, which is as far as I can tell, that pronunciation on their website is a joke, and it really is just a pun. Okay. Uh, or or not even a pun. It's just that they thought it would be really funny to say we you know. We make oh, a lot of really I didn't good. Read, I didn't read the second line. I, I didn't read. So the you second were fished line. in by that, and yep. it's a joke. But we're but still I not st- going to say the word because we don't want to bleep it. it out. No. Thank you for the real time follow up on that. I just read the You're first welcome. line on their website and was like, "Great, that's what I'll no. say on the show." No, that's their story that they tell, and then they go, "Nope, actually, nope, it's not." They just thought it would be funny, but I still don't want to say it. Nope. So uh, Marco does not take liberties. He does what's, you, what he's supposed to do. But you got to find a it. you got to find a bleep sound, and you got to drop it in every time you say it, and it's not worth it. No, I'm not, I'm just not going to do it. Um, then yeah, then I'm, I already mentioned the USB Pre Two. I do not recommend this because it's so expensive. Right. Yes. Agreed. Uh, the, the headphone app is like ninety dollars. If you want a headphone app, if you want more control, you want better sound, go for it. It's great. It's great for what it does, and this thing's built like a tank. The USB Pre 2, I'm a big fan of Casey Neistat. And there's there's a video on Casey Neistat's vlog. I will not be able to find this because it's like 600 videos where he, he talks about his gear philosophy. And one of the things he says is like, you start off with terrible equipment and then you pay a little bit more money and your quality is like doubled or tripled by spending a little bit more money. But the, But after that, like after the first few times that you upgrade, 
it becomes you spend more and more money for just tinier and tinier increases in quality. But it comes to a certain point where like you, after creating something for so long or doing something for so long, you desire that quality and then you have the means to pay for it. But it's not necessary if you're starting out, right? So yeah. this is this is my philosophy with the USB Pre 2. This thing is way, way more money than you need. Like frankly, XLR microphones completely is way more than most people need. But Absolutely. I have found a setup now that gives me exactly what I want, which is I sound in podcasts as I do to myself in my ears. And that is because I have spent a stupid amount of money. You'll be able to go <laughs> and look up how much money all this stuff costs. But this is what I do for a living. Uh, I've had this stuff for a year to a year and a half. And I don't think I will replace it for like five years. Like I have no, I, I'm at the point now where like I've found the perfect equipment. And, like to, and to be honest, the equipment that I found before I thought was the perfect equipment. And I had that for like four years. It's like, you know, I don't change this stuff out very frequently. Uh, but I found stuff that really, really works for me. So that's my feeling is like if you're doing this stuff, you want some lower cost interfaces or you want a USB microphone. Now, I will include a link in the show notes to uh, something that Jason put together for low cost USB audio interfaces. Like I have um, the Tascam 2x2, which is something that you've put in here, which I use for like on the go and for, for small stuff. And it does a perfect job. But I just really like the fact that the the USB Pre 2, which is the one that I use, it just gives me that little bit more. Like I can just do some weird stuff with that, which in a pinch is great. Like it has all these little switches that you can flip and you can yes. you know, like it basically it's like I have something that will let that will grow with me and I won't be constrained by it. You know, like the two by two, like it gets really crazy if you try and talk to anybody over Skype. Right, like you can do local recordings a bit perfect, like two microphones, but there's no way to get that those two microphones into Skype with the USB Pre. You can make it work, right? And 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 that's kind of like the the, the feeling that I want and what I'm looking for with this stuff. And so it is more expensive than you need. I don't recommend that anybody goes and buys what I have. But if you've been doing this stuff for years and maybe you're already using an XLR microphone. And you, you and you make some money doing this audio work in some way, then I recommend the USB Pre 2 to you because I have had literally zero problems with this thing since I bought it, and I couldn't be happier with it. But I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the same problem where people are like, "What do you use for this?" And it's like, "Yeah, but I don't recommend what I use no. to the 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 regular person off the street because it's." I decided a couple of years ago that I was doing this enough as my part of my livelihood that I was going to buy a really nice microphone and a really nice USB interface. And thanks, yeah, Marco ruins us all. Uh, funny that guy makes makes other people spend money, but uh, and I'm very happy with it. But I'd never recommend it. So, so I don't know if I mentioned this before. I haven't mentioned it now. So the uh, the, the the headphone app that I'm using, the headphones that I'm using, which I haven't spoken about, and the microphone, I bought those all whilst in Marco Ahmed's house uh, <laughs> because he sat me down at his computer and he's like, yeah. talking to that, listen to these." And I was I like, "Can't well, go I'm to that to house. Buy all this stuff. Yeah, don't I, can't, go. I don't have enough money to go to that house. No, don't go. Don't go. I mean, we saved money by not staying in the city, 
uh, and then I spent all that money on on audio equipment. So uh-huh. also in the in the show notes are some uh, lower cost microphone options that Jason has found. Like you've done some really good stuff with this, so it's good that we can put that in there. Like if you're interested in this stuff, maybe you want to start or you want to upgrade a little bit from what you're currently using. Ding, uh, then Jason's put together mm. some great resources for that. So let me talk about my uh, the little blue box that sits on the right hand side on the left hand side. That is a Rolls mute switch. Now there are not many XLR mute switches that work really well. Uh, this one is called the Rolls. It's this little blue thing. Uh, I couldn't get it here, so Jason got one for me. And when I saw you in August, you gave it to me. Yeah, and it's it's yep. fine. I mean, it's just built like a tank, and it just has a big button on it. It's a big piece of metal with a button on it. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> but but it does, uh, and it's got two modes. It's got the mode where you know it's mute. Your mic is muted when you hold it down, and then you let go when it comes up. Or it's got a toggle, which is ha- how I use it, because you know I will have uh, on many panel podcasts and things like that. I'll have an extended period of time that I'm uh, not talking, so I can mute it and walk away, and then come back. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it's. You know, it's not the most exciting piece of hardware in the world, but I love it. I'm very happy to have a hardware mute switch. My Blue Yeti microphone that I used to use had a mute switch right Same. on it. And Same. I, I, I'm not one of those like, oh, you can just mute it using a keyboard shortcut. And it's like, no, nope. I, I like I having mute the it everywhere. Button. Yeah, yeah, yep. exactly right. Because that's the thing is you can mute in Skype, but it's not actually muting your recording somewhere else. So, yeah, exactly. And because we do record to like multiple places, I don't, I don't want it. I don't want to have to forget about that. Um, and for a while, I had no mute switch. Uh, I just couldn't get one, and it was really, really annoying. And I very rarely use it, but I've used it a couple of times in this episode already because yeah, there's sure. so much stuff going on. So this is a great little thing. Yeah. Now, my microphone, again, this is a microphone that I recommend to nobody. Uh, it is the Neumann KMS 105 by far and away the best microphone I've ever used. Like, flat out the best microphone I've ever used. I think Marco uses this one or has used this one, but it's not in his review because it's so expensive for what you get. Now, I was very lucky to find a slightly used one on eBay for like three quarters of the price, which I was very happy about. Somebody in the UK, it's got a few dings on the case, but it works perfectly fine. Uh, This is this microphone gives the cleanest sound that I've ever used and it does a really good job of not picking up background noise. Um, Like there is so much noise and echo around me right now. And if you think that the show doesn't sound as good as normal, you have no idea how it would sound if I was using something else. Uh, This microphone is absolutely fantastic and I love it. The one thing I don't like about it is it looks like a, a, a microphone for singing like it's, it's that kind of shape, yeah. and I yeah. don't like that. I, I want my microphones to look like broadcast microphones. Like yeah, I used the high or PR forty for so long, and it looks and like a, like you're at a radio station. Yeah, well, I've got the Shure SM7B, which also looks like that, but this doesn't. And and I've often thought there must be like cases. Like somebody must have made. <laughs> like, do you know what I want, Jason? I want that like big silver microphone. You know, like with the slats in it. Yeah, you know, like the really old timey one. I want something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, to put over the top of this thing but anyway it doesn't it you know it doesn't matter but it's just my one little nitpick which is not important in any way no i i feel that same way i could i could i might be able to get better sound or at least as good a sound with uh one of the other mics that i've got that i use when i'm doing remote recording or adding a microphone here um i might the, the sound might be as good or better with those other microphones but um 
it would look like a you know a microphone and a mic stand from a rock show in a you know in a shock mount with a thing uh drop down in front of it as a pop filter and instead i've got you know my microphone has all of that built into it so i just have a microphone here and that's it looks a lot nicer if it sounded worse appreciably worse i guess i would change but um i'm still happy with mine so uh there is oh actually the uh the, the microphone that i'm using marco has added it to his thing now and he puts it at number two because of the price because of the price, yeah, yeah. So that when uh, I think when I when I got it, it wasn't in there, but it it was updated. Uh, oh, in September two thousand fifteen. So, so maybe it was. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, but it, you know, what I would recommend to people is Marco's number one pick, which is the Shure Beta eighty seven A, and also the fifty eight. Is it the fifty eight A? Yeah, Beta fifty eight A is a lot cheaper than the eighty seven, and I think it sounds great. Yeah, that's I my would, that's my travel that's my travel yep. microphone for my live stuff is is a bunch of uh, of the Beta fifty eight A's. Yeah, but so, if you're just buying a yeah. microphone, it's the Audio Technica ATR twenty one hundred USB because it's 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 cheap and it's good and it does USB and it does XLR. So that's my number one. I'm going to put a link to Marco's mega review of yeah microphones because you can go and listen to the samples. But I I uh, I actually recorded analog this week on a on a Beta fifty eight A. Because uh, it was part of what well, I'd already packed up all this equipment, and um, when I was editing, I was like, "Do you know what? This sounds close enough. I can hear the differences. I don't know if other people would, uh, but this microphone that I use is it's this is this is my tool. This is this is the tool of my trade. It is this microphone? So I yep. want the one that does the best job for me. Uh, I use a boom arm, so that's the thing that comes in from the right hand side and suspends the microphone. Uh, I use one by a company called K and M. Um, Again, I, I use this one. Uh, it was recommended to me by my Marco. Uh, I, I, I like <laughs> this one a lot because it has a uh, an XLR cable built into it as opposed to trying... I, the oh. one that I had before, I was wrapping a cable around it and kind of strapping it on. But in this one, the cable is built into the stand, like into, into the arm. So out one side, I plug my microphone and out the other side is a cable that I can take and plug in um, to my interface. I, I really like that. That makes it a lot simpler. So that's really good. And then my headphones uh, are the Bayer Dynamic DT770. Um, I just really like these headphones. They're super comfortable. I don't like the cable. It's like a straight cable. I wish it had a a coiled cable, um, but it has a straight cable. Uh, And they're just really good. They sound really good with music, but I like them because I can wear them for many, 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 many hours, and uh, and they're very, very comfortable. So yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my gear i mean there's a couple of other little things floating around here like uh, my wacom tablet is off to the side because i don't have the imax set up yet uh, but that's there you'll see that i've took a trip to dongle town you can see two dongles Yay. on here uh, and then of course the magic trackpad again i'll mention this in case people don't know how i do this uh, when i edit and, and actually when i use my mac um, i'm left-handed so i use my wacom pen in my left hand where I'm navigating interface and you know making cuts and stuff, and then I use my right hand on the trackpad, which I use for gestures and for panning. Uh, I maintain that this is the best way to, especially edit anything, and I try and turn people onto this. Like you don't have to use a tablet, but I think two-handedness is awesome. Having a trackpad for gestures and then some other form of input for more fine-tuned editing is great. So yeah, that's that's kind of my my feeling on that. But yeah, that that is my equipment. That is my new setup. That's what I'm dealing with here. And uh, I've obviously had the 5K iMac, 
which is the Mac that I usually use rather than the, the MacBook Adorable sitting there, that I'm looking at right now and, and wondering if it's doing the job that it's supposed to be doing. I do really like this computer a lot. I've been using it more recently. And and I kind of hit upon something, Jason, why I like this computer. It is the computer closest to the iPad. Uh, yeah, sure. So it's so thin, it's so light, and it's like the keyboard feels not like a regular keyboard, right? Like I think it reminds me of the iPad when I use it. Uh, but I was doing some stuff on it today. Uh, like I posted Cortex today from from a cafe whilst the flooring was being put in, which is what I was dealing with today. And uh, trying to export from Final Cut, like the, the YouTube video, and uh, trying to encode Ooh. the MP3, it took a very, very... <laughs> very long time uh, a yeah. very long time uh and i realized why i love my imac i really do love this machine it's not built for that stuff it will do it but it's not built for it i had that same experience when i've traveled with um especially with that my 11 inch macbook air where once i got the 5k imac i got used to the speed of plugins and exporting the file from logic and doing video encoding and then i was doing a podcast production on from i think from my mom's house in arizona on my uh, macbook air and again i have edited so many podcasts on that thing but after coming off the 5k imac i i was like oh my god i it's gonna take five minutes to export this thing i just said you know I, I'd forgotten. So there, it's great. You can take it with you. It doesn't have a lot of power. That's the trade-off. Um, but it, it's, you know, they're, these are delightfully little laptops. They just don't have the power of that, the 5K iMac. So I, I, I have those I have those moments when I'm, even now on my iMac, I have those moments where I'm denoising something and I've got the original 5K iMac. So it's um, got the slower SSD than the, the one that's like twice as fast of SSD the channel to the SSD. And I have those moments where I'm like, oh man, imagine how much faster this would be if, because it's entirely just hitting the disc. It's like, oh, well, I'm not going to buy a new iMac just for a faster disc, but there it is. Yeah, I um, I think it took close to an hour to make the, the Final Cut video. Yeah, yep. Which is like yep. a five or 10 minute thing. I'm not even kidding uh, on my iMac. I'm not surprised, right? Like, I know what I'm getting into with this stuff. And frankly, like, this is the thing. It wouldn't have been done. I couldn't have done it. I I couldn't have been at home while they were doing this. So it may have taken an hour, but it took an hour and it it. was done. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been done. And it would have been many more hours late. So, you know, this is the thing. And what I was able to just grab this, I just grabbed it and just walked down to the cafe. They didn't even have a bag with me. Because this thing is so incredibly small and so incredibly light, and it's exactly what I'm looking for. But it's just uh, realizing what you're losing sometimes. It's like, okay, like it, it should put it all into perspective. But I, I am still very, very happy with my choice of getting this over the MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pro would have done it quickly but it wouldn't have been as easy to carry around, and that's what I'm looking for. All right, so that do you have any more questions about my setup here? No, I mean I was I, I identified the audio uh the the USB uh audio interface. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I noticed that the amp for your headphones. Um I don't know. I don't think I I mean um I guess my only question is um now at your new place are you closer to Dongletown? Is the trip to Dongletown longer or shorter than your old place? It's a quicker trip to Dongletown. Okay, good. Good. Yeah. That's good. Uh, that so that was a, a really important for the move. 
Yeah. You know, looking at the future that we're going into now, like how far away from Dongletown? It's important. Apple users need to be close to Dongletown. All right. Good. That's all. I have no further questions. This week's episode is brought to you as well by our friends over at Away. Away are a creator of amazing luggage made from the highest materials whilst offering low prices compared to other brands. And how do they do this? They cut out the middleman and sell direct from awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast. That is the URL. Once you go there, you'll be able to peruse Away's collection of suitcases. They're all made with premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance, whilst also remaining super lightweight. Away offer four sizes of suitcase, and they're very clearly named. They have the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, the medium, and the large. And they have nine colors for you to choose from. The interior of an away suitcase features a patent-pending compression system, which is incredibly helpful if you're a packer. In the carry-on bag that I have, the compression system includes an integrated laptop or iPad holder. So you have the straps, right, <laughs> which you pull down, but it has like this, I, I struggle to explain it, but like it's not like a sheet, but it's like a pad, which is like hard-backed on one side and has a zip on the other side. So you can tuck like your, your computer in or your iPad in and zip it up, and then you pull the straps over the top of that. It's genius. It's just like it's using the space really efficiently. All away cases have four 360-degree spinner wheels. If you've ever gone from having two wheels in a suitcase to four wheels in a suitcase, like it's, it's the little things in life, but that makes a big difference if you travel a lot, right? To, to, to be able to push a suitcase rather than pull a suitcase is a big difference. Uh, they have TSA combination locks built in so that you know, your case isn't going to get busted open when you travel uh, f- back from the US, which happens to me every single time I travel now. I get that little card in my suitcase that says like, oh, hey, we dug for all of your stuff for fun. They also have a removable washable laundry bag too, which is great. So you're able to just pull this laundry bag out. It's all zipped up in the case and you're able to keep your clean clothes and your dirty clothes separate when you're on your trip. But the very best thing about Away suitcases is the integrated USB power brick. Both sizes of the carry-on feature USB ports underneath where the handle is. So you can charge your devices whilst traveling. I want your phone, it. tablet, exactly. E-reader, no matter what it is, if it's powered over USB, you're set. So I, well, I heard, first heard an ad for the Away suitcase on a talk show. Yeah. And then pursued them <laughs> to try and get them to sponsor because it was like, I think this will be great for our audience and I want one. I'm going <laughs> to buy one. <laughs> I was going to buy one, but they would send me one, which they did, so I can talk about it properly. And quite yes. frankly, this is the case that I want. This is the case that I want. It has something, and it's like 10,000 milliamp hours. I think it will charge an iPhone five times. Yeah. Like, it's amazing. You will never be without power again. How many times are you sitting at the gate or you just got off the uh, plane and you've got a power problem with your device? Yep. So I think it's a good... I was talking to... After I heard this ad, uh, the the Away ad on ATP, I, I was talking to Lauren about this because I, I had that same reaction of like, oh my God, that sounds so great. It really is. And she was like, well, what, you know, how do you make a smart suitcase? And I was like, well, you're, it's a carry-on with a battery pack in it. And she's like, well, when would I... And then we both were like, oh, yeah, actually, that is how many times are you uh, at the airport looking, sitting somewhere mm-hmm. stupid because there's an outlet there or you have to wait for somebody to finish using the USB charger. And uh, now you just have it kind of like you've got it with you and it's a big battery so you can do multiple recharges. And, uh, you know, your carry on is with you when you're rolling around and walking around to and from your destination. So it, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, all my uh, suitcases are two wheels, so I also look at these and I'm like, oh my God, it looks so much better. 
And let me tell you some more great stuff about the Away suitcase. They have a lifetime okay. guarantee. If anything breaks, what? they'll fix it or replace it for life. They do a 100-day trial. They want you to travel with this thing. And if you decide that it's not right for you, return it. Full refund, no questions asked. Wow. They shipped for free in the U.S., but this is something that I, I'm very happy with. They also ship to Canada, the U.K., Germany, Sweden, and Australia. This isn't just a U.S.-only sponsor. They ship to a bunch of other countries as well, which I'm really happy about. And also, they're doing some specials for the, for the holiday season. They have a gift set. Um, which has a bunch of lovely travel essentials in it in a mini away case. They also have a passport holder and luggage tag set and a 100% baby alpaca travel blanket, which is way cozier than the blankets you will find on planes. They have two limited edition colors for the holiday season, snow and asphalt of their cases. You can go and find out more about this for yourself at awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast. That's of course on one word. There'll be a link in the show notes. And if you use the code upgrade podcast or one word at checkout, you'll get $20 off of any of their suitcases. That is awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast and the code upgrade podcast for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. One of the problems with choosing a, a name like upgrade for your show is every now and then that code is in use. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't Shocker. happen very often, but it does happen because it is a, 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 a word that many companies would use. All right. It is Ask Upgrade time. Rajiv wanted. Oh, thank you so much. Rajiv wanted to know why do Americans only get twenty four hours to watch an iTunes rented movie, whilst other countries get forty eight hours? And the reason is is local laws about return periods. So I remember when the iTunes huh. store started doing rentals. Originally, it was like you got twenty four hours to to watch it, but I think in the UK, I think we get seventy two. It's either forty eight or seventy two hours, and it's just based upon European Union laws. Um, Hmm. Wow. About uh, the, the time that you get to watch a movie in. And I think we get like 30 days to watch it or something. And then once you start, it's like 48 or 72 hours to complete it. So it's, it's different, it's completely different to yours. And it's all just based on, on uh, consumer, uh, consumer law and stuff like that. As a parent, let me tell you, um, 24-hour rentals are the worst. Uh, it's yep. a little bit better now, but when, when the kids were little um, or littler – it was very difficult to get through an entire movie before we were just exhausted and had to like pass out. There were so many times when there were movies that I wanted to watch. I mean, it still happens to a certain degree um, where it's not appropriate when our you know younger kids are running around. So you can only w- watch it when they're in bed, or in some cases, like when they're we have a you know a very small house. My son's bedroom is next to the living room. Um, shares a wall with the living room. And so it's not just when he goes to bed, but it's like, and is asleep. <laughs> and then, and then you're like, I, you're picking a movie to watch and you're like, I can't watch this two hour and 20 minute long movie because I'll pass out. And you know, it, there's, there's no way it's too late for us to start this movie. And we, we would choose short movies or we would not rent a movie because we couldn't do it over two nights. It's the worst. I just think that it should be like, I know it's more complicated, but you get 24 hours to you know to watch it from the start. So let's say you start a movie, you get halfway through. You get 24 hours in which you can go back to the start and watch it through. But other than that, you should just and you could pick up from any point for as long as you want, right? You should be able to watch the movie yeah. the whole way through once, whether you pause it or not. Yeah, I I agree with that. I mean, you could argue that that allows you to keep the movie forever because you keep backing it up and things like that. And d- during your rental period, you should be able to back it up to the beginning and start it again or watch it as many. But the fact is, it comes from a pay per view 
system. It's using pay-per-view contracts a lot of the time where they had very specific like 24-hour purchase, you know, or 24-hour rental, watch it as much as you like, and then it disappears and all that. But I agree with you. I'm not sure what is served by having it be a 24-hour window and not a 72-hour window. I doubt there are very many people who don't get to the end of a movie and rent it a second time the next day, right? I don't think that happens. But um, it would be, it's, yeah, it's totally consumer hostile. I know that Amazon has some. Uh, Joe Steele, our buddy in the chat room, mentions that uh, some of their, uh, some but not all their titles do have a longer window. And I have rented movies on Amazon for that reason, that I'll see two-day rentals on there. And Apple just hasn't gone down that route. And it's annoying. Andrew asks, now that Spark has a desktop client, the email client, are either of you going to be changing your email workflow setup? So I use Airmail on all of my devices, and I really love the power that it has, and uh, it seems to be getting more and more features all the time. And this is, you know, my email client is the type of app where I want more and more features all the time because I like like for it to get better. Um, Airmail has bugs. It can be buggy. It can be weird. Uh, but it's being actively developed and they're working on all of those things. And the power that it provides me and the flexibility that it provides me, uh, I'm willing to take for the bugs that it has. I'm using Gmail and I use MailPlane on the Mac and I'm currently using actually Mail.app, hmm. uh, but I, I, I've been looking at the Gmail app too on iOS. Um, I'm I'm keeping an open mind. I really like using MailPlane, using the Gmail web interface, essentially wrapped around a Mac app. It is it works really well for me and how I how I deal with mail. I've really kind of become a uh, a convert to that after many years of using uh, Apple Mail and Eudora before that. But I'm going to keep an open mind because I think either AirMail or Spark. Um, it, it it goes back, Mike, to my organizational system. Ding. Yo, what? Uh, <laughs> my uh, calendar you have one of and to-do list. <laughs> my cal- it goes back to my calendar and to-do list. So uh, it could be part of a larger organizational shift for me uh, in 2017 or or not. So I'm going to keep an open mind. I, I do think, and Andrew makes this point um, in his question, that I can't rely on anything that doesn't work on the Mac mm-hmm. and iOS. That was one of the reasons I went with Airmail. Uh, like I'd, yeah. I'd spoken about how much I liked Spark in the past, but I, I couldn't use them completely. I couldn't go all in on it because it didn't have a right. Mac app. And, yep. and all of these applications, they kind of they do things to your email, right? Like, you know, they they make them look a certain way. They might categorize yeah, they, them they a have special mm-hmm. special for, for special mailboxes they make in your account in order to move things in, and then they move them out again, and they notify you and things like that. And you need to be present in that. Yep. interface in order to get that stuff. Now, even though I use Airmail, I don't use things like snoozing features anymore because I was bitten so badly when Mailbox died. So I don't use snoozing um, and I will never use it again because I'm not going to let myself get into a situation where an app goes away and then all of this stuff gets broken. However, my, I will not be switching to Spark because I don't know what their business model is and I don't like that for something like my email application. Airmail, you pay up front. Spark is free. And they said they were going to have in-app purchases for like these different categorization features since it launched, and they've not done any of it. So I question. Now I know the company, like they have, you know, read all. They make a bunch of applications that they sell. So you know, they they are a company that makes money. But Spark can't be a profit center for them right now. And until I see something like that, I won't even be considering a move uh, because my email application again. This is coming from somebody who used Mailbox. Mailbox got bought by Dropbox. Dropbox tried to use it, couldn't make money out of it, killed it. 
Um, my email is too important to me um, and I want an application that I can rely on. And right now I believe that that application is Airmail. As cool as Spark is, as cool as it looks, um, I need to know that it's going to be around. And right now I can't see how they're going to guarantee that other than just saying it and that's not enough. Yeah, I, I, I hear that. Um, I'm not too worried about the snoozing features just because they tend to work by moving things into special mailboxes. And when I stopped using um, whatever it was, was a mailbox that, or, or mm-hmm. I, I, I don't even, I just moved them out. But I have 500 messages in my inbox. So oh. that oh. would work for me. I know. Jason. I know. No. Organizational system. Your system, I can't. No, someone needs to just fly like David Sparks in to just sit with you for like four days. I might get you that for Christmas. I might get you a Sparks. Just so he can come down and just deal with you. Now, see how much it costs to hire him for a couple of days. Uh, Nathan wants to know, why do you think that there are not more games that use split view on the iPad? I only know of one, and that's threes. And you know what? I thought about it. Like, that is a good point. Like, that, you know, threes you can use in split view in a little side pane. So you can you know, maybe have like a long YouTube video up or something and play threes at the same time. Uh, I've done this. Uh, you know, like I might be like watching a long video or listening to a podcast and I have like I have threes open on the side panel. I think there are just not a lot of games that specifically work i mean threes works because threes on the ipad especially on one of the pro ipads it's too big so like threes works on the side panel because really it is an iphone game any other size screen it kind of is a bit too much so it works really well but i do wonder why i haven't seen more games that like specifically take advantage of that because i think that there is something there yeah i think I think most game developers don't think I think most game developers would like to believe that their game is the center of attention and that why would anybody be doing something else while they're playing my game? Good point. And some games that's true, maybe some games that's not true. I mean, if I was playing Words with Friends with somebody who was online at the same time and we were moving back and forth, right? Like I might want to keep that window open and do something else rather than switch away and then get the, wait for the notification. Um, but you know, I, I think, I think you could argue that split view is really good for moving between, you know, I'm, I'm doing something over here and I'm doing something over there and they're kind of interrelated and a game is usually a hundred percent of your focus. So that's why I think. Good point. Uh, Ken asked on Twitter, Jason recommended using signal. Do you think iMessage is just a secure now, what is Signal? I don't even know what this is. Signal is a uh, secure messaging platform. It's all encrypted end to end, and that was uh, we were talking about uh, protecting yourself uh, from sp- government spying, basically. And uh, using Signal was something that is sort of generally thought of as a, a best practice. That it's a it's a end to end encrypted system that seems, you know, seems trustworthy and doesn't seem to have been broken and, uh, and you could use it. Um, I think iMessage is secure based on what we know of it, other than the fact that there is, you know, there's some metadata that gets sent to Apple, but, uh, and so it's just depends, right? Like Apple is a big target. Um, I, I think Apple has engineered iMessage very specifically to be end to end encrypted, um, I would say the problem is that iMessage only works if you've got iOS devices. So the advantage of using something like Signal is that it also works on Android. I am not a security expert. Because your text messages won't be encrypted in the same way that your iMessages would be. Sure. 
Sure. Exactly right. Yeah. If you're if you're sending the green bubbles to somebody on Android, right, that's not going to do it. But Signal is Signal is cross platform. I'm not a security expert. I really am not at all, even remotely. But when I listen to security experts, that this is one of the things they say is use you know use Signal um, because it's pretty secure. iOS is actually pretty secure compared to Android. Um, they I think they like uh, Chromebooks. At this point, that they're they're pretty secure. There are very specific things that are like a, harder, you know, to subvert. But um, you know, that's 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 all I can say about it. Bill asked, "Are there any iOS browsers that can spoof a website and make it think that you're using Internet Explorer?" I wonder why Bill wants to do this. I assume he's testing something. Uh, check out iCab. iCab has browser spoofing. iCab is a Incredible in every sense of the word application for <laughs> iOS. It is a it is a third party browser that does just crazy things. Like you can you can do like multiple like up to three plane pane split view in iCab. Like it it gets it's one of these applications that's been around forever. Like it was one of the those applications that got like has had a history of being like banned from the store and all that stuff. Like you know, and, and then making like a big fuss when it was like there should be third party browsers and all that stuff. And iCamp has a long history of active development. Um, it is a good application. Uh, I know Federico uses it for some stuff, not to browse, but like for like for some interesting things. Um, I think even Fraser spoke about it on a, on an episode of um, of Canvas on uh, one of their earlier episodes. So iCab would be if any if any app's going to do it, iCab's going to be the one. Yeah. Mike asked, "What are the pros and cons of one password versus LastPass?" I have one password on my phone and iPad, but have yet to migrate from LastPass. Is it worth it? Yeah, and the the short answer here, I I, I picked this question because uh, Wirecutter just d- updated their best password managers article and we'll put a link in the show notes um, they recommend LastPass largely because it's cheaper um, and it's more friendly cross-platform um, doesn't work uh, one password doesn't work on Chromebooks and does it's got features that are missing on Windows at least at the moment um, and it's more expensive so these are these are uh, these are reasons why they picked it Um my understanding is that LastPass, I mean, LastPass had a security problem at one point, and I think they sync, doesn't LastPla- LastPass do like their own cloud service? That's um, I have no idea. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I sync my uh, 1Password database with Dropbox, so in order to get yep. my passwords, you would need to break into my Dropbox and then break into the encryption of the file inside of my Dropbox. Agile bits do their own now as well, though, too, don't they? Yeah, you can also you can also do that depending on on the system that you've got. So you know that uh, the, the, you just gotta you gotta shop. I, I think in in the end, price and compatibility across platforms are the are the things to look at first. Um, yeah. I feel better about using my own Dropbox, like through through one password. Yeah, me too. I, I, it just makes me feel better. Like there's multiple layers here, multiple companies, you know, an element of maybe physical access required. Like I, I like that. I like that. Le- those extra layers that it gives me. Don't tell me if it's wrong. I like what I do. It makes me happy. Please don't tell me that I'm being a bonehead. I don't want to know. Yeah. And um, what Wirecutter says about one password very specifically is it's got a more polished and convenient user interface. It's a little faster at most tasks. It's got a local storage option. If you don't trust the cloud, it gives you more options than last class. 
LastPass for working with attached files, and it can do uh, the one-time token stuff for two-step verification, which you otherwise would have to do in a separate app. So, but it is more expensive and uh, less compatible across uh, if you if you care about things like Chromebooks or um, some of their features on Windows. So we've that's also the, discovered today that one password is easier to say on a podcast. Yeah, because otherwise we're talking about LastPass. La pla pla plast last. It's a last, it's a, a long lasting band aid solution. Last. Yeah. This week's episode is we're going to do Mike at the movies after this. By the way, we're finally oh, going to yes. get to uh, Home Alone, which I'm so excited about. But this episode is brought to you by Foot Cardigan. Look, it is the holiday season. The holiday season is coming up, and if you've ever wanted to be the envy of everyone you know, be the best gift giver around the holiday tree then Foot Cardigan is going to make that happen for you. But also, look, do you want awesome socks delivered to your mailbox? See, Jason is so excited about socks, and that's because Foot Cardigan will make that happen. They deliver fun socks every month right to your doorstep. They ensure your feet never have to be seen out in public in plain white socks ever again. And the best part, you don't have to choose what pair you get. Every month, you get a surprise pair in the mail, and surprises are the greatest, and so are Foot Cardigan socks. I have a list, Jason, of uh, in my Apple Notes of... Uh, Things that I need to change the address for now that I'm moving. Uh, Foot Cardigan was very high on that list. I want to make sure that I get my socks because uh, I've been slowly replacing all of my socks over the last year with Foot Cardigan socks. All of my good socks are packed away right now, so I'm wearing non-Foot Cardigan socks today. (gasps) And my feet are just not as comfortable and they don't look as fun. And it makes me very sad uh, when I look down and just see some plain socks. I'm not happy about it. I want my spatula socks and my robot socks and my comic socks. That's what I want today. But I don't have them because they're all being protected and they're being moved. So, Mike. Is that your foot cardigan? Oh my, did it come? It, what, what is, is it? This is a foot cardigan package right here. Mine's on the way. What is it? Oh, I don't... Should I open it right now? Yeah, I want to know what the socks will look like. Look, foot cardigan socks are awesome. They have a bunch of different styles. They have no-show socks. They have luxury socks. They have men's socks. They have women's socks. They have kids' socks. You go to footcardigan.com and you'll get 10% off your order with the coupon code UPGRADE. Jason, what do the socks look like this month? Oh, I've got bad news for you, Mike. Oh, what was supposed to I'm gonna, I I I ordered I ordered this uh to be put under the tree because oh. I'm giving them as gifts to to uh, myself and a uh, certain someone. Mm-hmm. And so um it's not you. And uh so it's wrapped. <laughs> I can't tell you, but well. I'm excited there's tinsel. It came with tinsel and a cookie cutter. That's awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool because they're doing like yeah. holiday gift subscriptions. So there you go. You know you get extra stuff if you buy one of those. Go to footcardigan.com, promo code upgrade at checkout and get 10% off. And if we have satiated your interest enough that you really want to know what's in that package, there's now only one way to find out. Footcardigan.com. Look at that. That was I turned that around, Jason. You did. Well, that was I, I realized the moment that I started opening it that I bet it was going to be wrapped inside. So yeah, what you going to do? Home Alone, one of my very favorite Christmas movies. Uh, you just did a great episode of Top Four, uh, where both Marco and Tiff put. Uh, you you did it with you and Lauren, and you did um, Christmas movies, and both Marco and Tiff put Top Four on their li- uh, put uh, Home Alone on their on their Top Four list. Yes. So uh, I'm very interested to find out what you feel about this movie. Before you tell me uh, in true Mike at the movie style, what did you know about this movie before you watched it? Um, you knew the screaming okay. part because you did that last week. Don't do it again, <laughs> yeah. please. Yeah. Uh, 
everyone will be happy to know. I, if you listened to the end of the last week's episode and heard Jason scream, I ducked the audio down. He was about two times louder than that uh, yeah. at the time. So please don't do that again. So here's what I know about it. I know that in uh, 1990, when I was uh, 19 years old, I was aware that this was a huge hit. That that was that you could not turn around without uh, bumping into somebody who was talking about Home Alone. It was, uh, it was. I think it became the highest grossing comedy of all time. It ran through uh, Christmas and into January with big word of mouth and and big box office even though it was a you know a holiday release and released in in the middle of November because it was so successful and so everybody was talking about it i felt like by the time i got through college i was probably the only person on earth who had not seen home alone and i just didn't see it i didn't exert any effort to go see it and since then i don't think i've really avoided it as much as um, well, maybe I, I haven't avoided it. Like it wasn't on TV and I was like, Oh, home alone. I can't watch that. I, I got to keep the streak intact. But it was one of those things where I started to think I'm the only person who hasn't yeah, seen home alone. I do this. I'm like this with game of Thrones. Like I'm never going to yeah. watch game of Thrones cause I'm happy. I don't watch it now. Like it's like a badge of honor that I hold for myself. Yeah. Here's a unique thing. Well, and, and so this is, I, I want you to know what I did for this show is that it's been 26 years since this movie came out and you made me break a 26 year long streak of being able to say to people, you know, I've never seen Home Alone and have them be like, what? That's that's impossible. In fact, top four was sort of like my going away party for that that little part of my life because I uh, when we recorded that, I hadn't seen Home Alone, but like a couple days later, I saw it. So, uh, oh, I, I should say, what do I know about it? I know that it's a movie where, um, where Macaulay Culkin is at home and burglars are trying to break in mm-hmm. and he does terrible things to them in order to not be taken or attacked or whatever to defend his home from the burglars. And I knew that it was a John Hughes production and that Joe Pesci and, da- and Daniel Stern were in it. That is all I knew about Home Alone. Okay. You knew the you knew most of it, right? <laughs> really, like well, that's what Home Alone is. is well, but things. okay, so so here's the thing, though. The thing that I think of as Home Alone, and maybe this is true. So it was funny watching this with Lauren because, for her, this is an old an old movie she's seen unknown numbers of times, dating back to 1990 when she probably saw it in the theater when it came out, like everybody else in humanity. So I'm asking questions and. Uh, making comments about they could have done it this way as if it's a brand new thing. And she's like, but you're talking about ancient history. It's it's a little bit like fact-checking uh, Gone with the Wind or something, where it's like, yeah, it was. it's kind of too late now for you to be asking these questions. So I was doing some of that. But the thing that really surprised me is what we think of as Home Alone doesn't happen in the movie until an hour and 15 minutes in. Yeah. That's when the assault on the house begins. Everything before that is, uh, you know, it's set up and there are other little vignettes. And that's the stuff I didn't, I didn't realize. I mean, I kind of figured that it would start with um, like him being left home alone and being like, good luck, Kevin. And they leave and he's home alone and he has adventures and uh, is attacked by these guys and fends them off and all of that. But, uh, but no, that's not how it's structured at all. There is on on that line though that there is um the, the thing is having seen this movie a bunch of times there's something that I noticed this time is how little setup there actually is 
to the point where he gets left. Like that is very quick. That point. It's well, okay. So it's but the quick, thing is, but... there's a lot that happens between that point and the home invasion part. And, and yes, arguably that. I mean, if you if you take away a lot of the cultural significance, all of that is is interesting and important stuff. It's like how this little kid tries to live on his own. Right, yes. like him going to the store and all that, and, and in theory, like if you weigh them all up, they're all like interesting parts on their own. But there is now mm-hmm. so much cultural significance around the home invasion section of the movie that it is strange. But like if if you take that away, because I was trying to watch it in a, in a different way than usual, like I was trying to pay attention to things. The point at which the, the movie starts to Macaulay Culkin is on his own is is very fast, and it's there isn't much backstory in this movie either, which was a surprise really. Like trying to outline why this would happen, like it, it, you very quickly realize that like, but it's set up that like the whole family hates Kevin. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and there's no reason it, why for that, and I, and I actually think that the movie is better for that because it keeps it moving quicker than trying to go into like Kevin McAllister was a boy who was uh, always in trouble at school. You know, like they don't really go into any of that. It's just like none of his brothers and sisters like him probably because he's the youngest and the parents seem to be a bit of a trouble. And he doesn't like them too, right? Cause he, exactly. he, he wishes that his family would just go away and leave him alone. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's funny. I agree with you. It happens as it happens as quickly as possible, but I noticed the great extent they go to to make it like the movie puts in a lot of work to engineer a scenario mm-hmm. where a kid would be left at home alone for multiple days a little kid would be left at home alone for multiple days like they try really hard and it feels i, I gotta be honest it feels super artificial like it, mm. it, it's very clear that they, the movie needs to get to its premise and so you all have to watch for 15 minutes as the movie does its work to get to the premise and i you know i don't know what a better solution is other than like literally he wakes up and nobody's at home and we find out at the end that oh we didn't realize you weren't with us and then we were trapped in france and then i i made my way back like you could just do that i guess but people i think they were worried in 1990 that people are going to be wondering like how could this happen and so and and how awful are these parents so they have to make it that the parents are more frazzled they wake up late there are two vans this is at a time pre 9-11 when you could go to the airport and just kind of like run through the airport yeah uh, which at the time was not You know, at the time, secu- there was still airport security. So, sure. you know, and as a parent, you're like counting your kids. But this is a large group. The idea is that everybody always expects that somebody else knows where Kevin is. And they're, and they're so busy running through security that they're not stopping to count everybody. Today, to you know, post 9-11 security, this would be, you know, very difficult to pull off. But at the time, I think you can just kind of go. But there's a lot of that. There's an awful lot of that that is there. And I guess why I, I get why they do it. But I did have that move that moment of like, come on, movie. I get it. You want him to be alone. Let's let's just get there. But it needed to do all that work with the you know that kid goes in the van to look around and then comes back out. But they've done the count, you know. But it's 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 over fast. It happens pretty fast. But it, I I was uh, I I just noted that they they put in a lot of effort to get to the premise because that you know really the point was to get to the premise. So a few things that I noticed: um, the McAllisters are very rich. It would seem their house is massive. Uh, and I don't know why it's not explained uh, what either of the parents do. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a movie house. It's very nice. It is the suburbs in Chicago. I mean, it's it's uh, it is a very nice house. That's true. 
that there are five children, I count this, there are five children in the McAllister immediate family. Yeah. There are many more children in this movie, but there, there are five. Uh, Kevin has two brothers and two sisters. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the kids look alike at all. And the funny thing is, uh, Macaulay Culkin's younger brother is in this movie, but he's a cousin. Yeah. Which is hilarious that like they actually use his younger brother, but not as immediate family. Uh, but I guess because he's younger, right? They, Kevin needed to be the youngest kid in this. I wonder if, uh, I, I wonder how it ended up working out, right? Like, was it, was it, it was it Macaulay or was it, I can't remember the, the, the other guy's name. Like, I wonder whether they were thinking who they would go with out of the two of them. Um, I think that whilst Macaulay Culkin is young in this movie, I think he does a really good job of carrying this on yes. his own, which is yeah. not an easy thing to do. Like, I don't know how old he is in this movie, but he's young. And uh, he does a really, really good job. And he, I think he does a convincing job in a lot of places. Like, you believe that he is Kevin McAllister. I think it's kind of what ruined his career as well. Yeah. Isn't that like, I think he is Kevin McAllister? I think he's nine. I think Which he was is, nine. He did an amazing job as a nine-year-old oh, yeah. throughout no, this movie. He, he 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 carries the movie and he does it and he does it quite well. Um, yeah, he does a good job. I, I noticed that that you know he does a he does a very good job. That it, it's it's without uh, without him, uh, I don't know if this movie would would be the success that it is because you 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 need somebody in this who's capable and not a complete blank. And he is kind of annoying at times, but mm-hmm. he is a presence, and that's good because you need you need somebody. You need a strong personality. And he's supposed to be kind of annoying. That's why his parents and family are left. annoyed <laughs> by him, right? And that's why they leave him behind. Yeah. Um I, I had it's funny that you talk about um spelling some things out and not spelling other things out. Joe Pesci is there in a police uniform at the very beginning and he's not explained. Yep. And I, I said to Lauren, why? The house? <laughs> I said to Lauren, why? Oh, I think he just walked in when, the, when the, the other family was coming in or something. And I said, why is he there? And she says, just wait. I'm like, but, but why is he, did I miss why he's there? She said, no, just wait. I'm like, all right. And then he does the, you know, we just had some break-ins in the neighborhood where I'm checking, making sure everybody's around. If you can keep an eye on your, you know, your neighbors and all of that. And, and it turns out that yeah he's casing the joint but it's that was a funny thing where he's not introduced and he's just sort of like part of the furniture and then then we we see and he gets his little ding uh gold tooth that uh that uh is there so so we can we can see him and yeah his uncle kevin's uncle is mean and uh it's look what you did you little jerk is a line and and i i just wrote down the the that uh, does he say family suck? Something like that. I think Kevin yeah. says family suck. So you'd be, you know, you'd be sad if you woke up and didn't have a family. Um, and then, okay, so let me ask you a question. Because I always assume that this movie is a, you know, it is a an unrealistic story, which is fine. So it's a fantasy on that level. But there's this one scene where he goes to bed and there and there's this you know you'd be sad if you woke up and didn't have a family where like the 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 power goes out in the night and i i started wondering to myself is this movie kind of trying to imply that something sort of magical happens here that kevin is i don't think so no um, a, a lot of, a lot of those movies around this time would do this but i actually think what this movie's doing is magic from a child's perspective because he believes he wished his family right. away right like right. he well, wakes that's up and he doesn't think they've gone to the airport he thinks he did this he, and i he think made them disappear yeah. if this movie is what movies of the 80s and 90s make children believe they can do <laughs> right yeah but well, they also why would he it. not 
why would he not go to the police? Why would he not ask somebody for help? The answer because is because he's, he's magic the cause, boy. Because he's Anthony from the Twilight Zone, and he sent his family to the cornfield, and yep. so he isn't going to uh, talk to that. That's true. There's something about the shot of the storm blowing in and the power going out that the way it's shot, the, maybe the way the music is, that I thought made it seem a little more magical than coincidental that I, that, that led me, I was like, that's weird. But, and then it's never brought up again, but it was, it, 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 you're right. It's meant to be that he does this. So they're late to the airport because they can't, they Mm -hmm. can't, uh, and that's where we get the whole rush to O'Hare airport and the vans and all of that. And, um, you know, in, I, I, you know, again, I don't really think that a scenario like this would be possible, but they try very hard to get you through it so that you don't hate the parents and you end up with Kevin home, home alone. And then, there's another uh, element of this which movie. wasn't discovered really by popular culture until many years later, right? So like th- there is a lot of this. It's like very ham-fisted and trying to set it up, right? Like the ways in which this would happen. I agree with that. Like the tree falling and making the power go out sets up a lot of like why no one can call Kevin on the phone. Yes. Right? Like, oh, yeah. It's very... You can see is, the plot machinations yep. going on on the screen, right? Which is but this is all more. about setting up his isolation. There's one more element of this. So, you know, when he knocks the milk over onto the pizza and it goes onto the, tr- onto the tickets, right? This was discovered, like, in popular culture many years later with the Blu-ray production of this movie. So, the, the milk is knocked over. It goes onto the train ticket, like, the plane tickets. The dad tries to clean it all up and he throws a bunch of tissue into the trash. And they actually show a shot of him throwing the tissue into the trash. In the trash is one plane ticket. Ah. Uh, so it, Which it, is why they didn't have an extra plane ticket for Kevin. Exactly. And it's like... Never considered, like it was in the movie, never made a thing of, but nobody really noticed it because it was that like you would have had to have seen it and it's really hard to see. But like, I remember this, this like a few years ago, Smart. this like became a thing of popular culture. So like, this is one of the ways they tried to set up like, and, and the thing is, I, I can agree with you to a point they go to a really like, they go to a really far extreme. But the thing is, what I actually quite like about this movie is that it is thought through in that way. Oh yeah. You know, like it's like, these are the ways Oh, it's very engineered, and I, I I can feel that, and you know I don't I don't love it, but I appreciate why they had to do it, which is they had to engineer it so that um, how would this perfect situation happen? Uh, why do kids get left home alone all the time? It's like well, all these things had to happen for it to happen this one time, and that's what we have here. But you don't hate the parents because they were just frazzled and they didn't realize, and they thought the other one had it, and. I've I've seen that as as I think mentioned on the top four episode. Lauren's parents left her sister at a gas station yeah. <laughs> at one point. I had to turn around and go back. So it happens. I I do really you know going back a step. Like I really like the idea that they that that it is meant to play like Kevin believes he did this because it changes the yeah. tone of the movie. Yeah, if I mean, Kevin believes that they just went without him, it doesn't. It it makes an angry child not a happy child. You know, like he thinks yeah. he got what he want rather than, oh, they forgot about me. Uh, there's one moment that I really like in this movie as well, which um, it plays to the, the realism part that I like when he's looking through Buzz's room and he's like destroying everything and he picks up a copy of Playboy and he, he opens the covers and he goes, no clothes on anyone, sickening, and throws it behind his head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what nine year old boys think. Right. Like I think yeah. it would have been really easy to have him be like waka waka, like, you know. Yeah. That just seems like the the thing you do for laughs, right? The nine year old boy the other finds way. Playboy for the same time. But they actually go realistic, which is like no nine year old boy wants to <laughs> wants to look in Playboy. Like it's just not a yeah. thing. And I just think it's it's really funny. Yeah. No, I, I agree. 
I agree. Um, so he like watches. He ma- he made his family disappear. He's watching Miracle on Thirty Fourth Street, and and uh, oh, and he watches a uh, um, he watches a gangster movie. The movie is that movie. to great effect. Get yes, the change, you filthy animal. Right, that one. Yeah, that, that's thing. right. That's right. Exactly that's right. Line. That's the line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, then it's revealed that Joe Pesci is actually a burglar, uh, yeah. and that they then try and burgle the house, and it fails because Kevin kind of becomes wise to it. He's scared, but he turns the lights on. He kind of blocks them out. Um, right. As well, like during this point, something we skipped over is the McAllister family have realized when on the plane that Kevin's not there. They've realized that, um, and then they they <laughs> arrive in Paris. They go into Paris uh, for the holiday season, and then the whole thing starts of them trying to get in contact with the police, who they get through the most apathetic police department in the world who sends an officer who knocks oh, on the yeah. door nobody answers and he's just like oh well it's useless oh, well. and then leaves and then the police are exited from the movie <laughs> yeah that's the end until the until the very end right uh yeah they they that's it they, we ch- we checked the and although i like the way that's constructed where then uh the mom Catherine o'hara uh, great from uh, sctv right um says uh oh i called the i called the police they're going to check on kevin and they're like great Job done. I was like, no, no, not job done. No. So then she waits in the airport and then there's like many ways in which she tries to, to get home and we'll, we'll pause that for a bit and we'll come back to that later when she actually does find her route. But then it goes into like Kevin trying to live his life and it yeah. just produces one of my favorite lines from the whole movie when he's in the store and he says, is this toothbrush approved by the American Dental Association? Oh. He asks the lady. It's hilarious. It's hilarious because she has no idea. She's like, I don't know. But it's like he's seen it on TV, right? Like he's seen it on yeah. an ad. And and yeah. I love that line so much. It's um, I really enjoy the scene where he's checking out and the checkout lady says, because that one he just leaves and they chase him and he runs away. And, yeah. Because and, and, he gets cause scared he just, of the guy with the shovel. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The guy with the shovel, which we'll yeah. come back to. But um the um but i like the later scene where he goes shopping and he's he's actually buying the stuff that he needs at the supermarket and the lady says is your mom here and he says well of course she is why who would who would would leave a a kid home at christmas (laughs) yeah who would would do that and they're like well where is she oh she's you know she's out uh, she's out in the car whatever he says um and and i i I just i really love that he's got his sort of wacky confidence there of like well Mm -hmm. of course i'm not here alone yeah i just i I thought that scene was really funny that was really good and then here's a pizza at one point too yeah using the the guy Yeah. yeah that was that was funny uh, he then at this this is kind of the point where the movie starts to turn and Kevin wants his family back now like he's sad he wants them to come back uh, and then also at this point this is when um, Mrs. McAllister she bumps into John Candy who is a staple okay, of so, my childhood so so yeah we got a, we got a real SCTV reunion here Catherine O'Hara and John Candy together they were both on SCTV sketch comedy show Canadian right, okay. sketch comedy show I'm pleased um, you elaborate on that because I have no idea what you're talking about SCTV is a a, a uh, sketch it's a classic sketch comedy show kind of like Saturday Night Live but different with a different cast and it was it was made in Canada and it's a bunch of uh, great performers who you would know uh, from that you, you know about Bob and Doug McKenzie that whole bit strange brew have do you know anything about no any idea of that? what you're talking about no okay well anyway it all came out of SCTV uh, Rick Moranis Actually, was an, also an SCTV guy. Um, so this is two SCTV cast members here, uh, which is great. And um, and John Candy. It's great to see John Candy. Uh, also in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, another uh, John Hughes movie. 
And it's uh, hilarious because she, she's at the airport in like New Jersey somewhere uh, trying to get back to Chicago. And John Candy has a bunch of guys wearing yellow outfits that are a polka band and they're driving to Wisconsin so they can stop off on the way in Chicago, which, you know, it is on the way. And uh, so he offers her a ride and they take a ride in the polka truck. The polka king in the Midwest. Polka, polka, polka. It's so weird and funny, and their and their their initial scene at the airport is funny, where, uh, he, you know, he's trying to have kind of an inappropriate, not in a bad way, but in a like, perhaps the you know small talk is not appropriate with a lady who's terrified that she's left her son home alone, and finally he, but he's all very sunny about it, and then he's like, oh, oh yeah, right. Anyway, uh, we got a truck and we're going to Chicago, so we can take you, and uh, and then there's a scene where they're playing polka music in the back of a. A, a, a delivery truck. It's hilarious and weird and delightful. Um, then we find out that the scary shovel guy isn't scary and he's just sad, right? There's like a, a scene where like Kevin talks to him and this is like the redeeming moment and Kevin's like, I have to protect the house because oh. he knows that the burglars are coming and this is when he starts to run home, right? This is- I love... I, I love that scene where he goes into the church and he meets the salt man, right? Mm-hmm. The, sh- the shovel man. And... Um, he so he tells a sad story about how um, that's his granddaughter singing, but he doesn't get to see her because he and his son had a falling out, and he's afraid. And Kevin says, you know, grown up shouldn't be afraid of anything. And he's like, yeah, well, which also is good because it, it makes Kevin realize that the burglars can be afraid of things too, right? That carries onward. Yep. But I really love the moment where um, where he asks if Kevin if he's been good, and Kevin's like, oh yeah, yeah, I've been very good. And then he's like, well. No, <laughs> like no, I haven't been, no, and that made good. me laugh a lot. Where he was like, "No, not really. Actually, I'm got a moment of introspection here. No, actually, I am not. I have not been good. That was that was great. And then, so that's a that's a really nice scene. It sets up uh, something with the shovel man later. But um, at that point, we are in. We have reached an hour and fifteen minutes. It is time for the construction of traps for uh, for Daniel Stern and Joe Pesci to be uh, to fall into. Now, Jason, I've done something special. I'll okay. tell you that I've done this. I cataloged every injury that is undertaken by the home invaders. All right. And I have listed them out for you. Would you like to hear them? Yes, let me know. So, this is all of the injuries sustained by the character Harry, played by Joe Pesci. He gets a BB gun. This is in chronological order. BB gun to the nether regions. Yep. He slips on ice down to concrete. He slips downstairs, which are iced, uh, on, and falls down the stairs. He receives a severe burn on his head from, uh, uh, from his hand, sorry, from a door handle, which leaves the yes. imprint of the M into his hand, the McAllister M. He then mm-hmm. receives a flame furrow to the head. He then is covered in glue yep. and feathers. He slips on toy cars to a wooden floor. He receives a paint can to the face. He trips on tripwire and falls down to the floor. He receives a crowbar to the ribs in an attempt to kill a spider. He then falls from a zip wire <laughs> down to the ground below via hitting a brick wall and then receives a shovel to the head. Now, these are the injuries sustained by Marv, who is played by Daniel Stern. 
BB gun to the forehead. He slips down concrete stairs that are covered in ice. He then slips on ice down to the floor below. He receives a crowbar, which falls on his head. Uh, he receives a clothes iron falling on his head. He steps mm-hmm. on a nail whilst barefoot. He falls downstairs on a concrete floor. He steps on broken glass baubles whilst barefoot. He slips on toy cars to a wooden floor, receives a paint can to the face, or a tarantula on the face, crowbar yes. to the ribs because of an attempt to kill a spider. It happens to both of them. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) falling from zip wire to ground below via hitting a brick wall and then shovel to the head. Uh, Indestructible. The real real hidden uh, element of this movie is what what we've not found out about is these are actually superhero burglars. Uh, They they have some kind of mutant powers. Super villains. Super villains. Well, okay, so this is a light, fun movie up to this point. At this point, it becomes a cartoon. Yeah. And I'm I'm fine with that. It's a pretty great cartoon. Yeah. This <laughs> it's is a pretty great live this, action cartoon. Yeah. The, the level at which they take this, it could have been done so badly. Like, I don't know what makes this one good, right? But it is enjoyable. But you could do all of this and it not work because it's so fantastical. Like, no human being would get through maybe the first two or three steps of that. Yeah. Right? Like, people, th- you just I- would stop. I, I don't think Daniel Stern would be able to continue after he gets the nail through his foot, right? Well, I mean, the clothesline to the head maybe it will have killed him. Oh, the iron, yeah. I do yeah. I do like how the, the um, again, in true cartoon fashion, the shape of the iron He's is like on his forehead for the rest of the movie. That's great. <laughs> you know, like, but it's, it's, it's so brilliant. And the thing, if you, you should now watch Home Alone 2. Oh, uh, sure. Why not? Uh, I'm not going to wait 26 years for that one. I prefer Home Alone 2, personally, like because it it takes this to the next level. Home Alone 2 is the Force Awakens to the original Star Wars. It retells the exact same story. Uh, like, all, but the thing is, it does it with all the same beats, and it takes it up a notch. I really like it. It does a really, really great job of like continuing the next movie because um, it goes up a notch, but also hits all the things you're familiar with and enjoy. So they kind of perfected the movie because they 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 hit upon, or they worked out what hit with people, which was the home invasion section. So it was much longer and more elaborate and more fun. And Joe Steele agrees with me. So, oh, so so uh, two notes I wanted to say here. First off, we min- we missed the time earlier where he uh, creates a ah the mannequins. Uh, yeah, uh, he's got he's got the mannequins that he's moving with ropes. He's got a Michael Jordan cut out on a toy train. That one made me laugh out loud. Right? Hey, it's Michael Jordan, and he's just going by. What? How is he moving? Oh, he's on. He's taped to a train. Yes, great. that's great. That's really good. So he we see him doing that, and then later, right before the the burglars come. Um, I don't know if you ever watched uh, the A-Team when you were a kid, but that is a scene out of the A-Team, which is in every episode of the A-Team, there's a, like a musical montage and you see them building all the things that they're going to they're gonna use uh-huh, in order uh-huh. to defeat the bad guy. And we get that montage here where it's, you know, Kevin is going to, we see him build all the things. He puts the tar down, he puts the nail in, you know, we're, we need the setup so that then we can see all those traps being sprung and understand what we're seeing. And I enjoyed that little montage too. And the music is so good in this movie. The John Williams yeah, John score Williams. is so good. It's so, yeah. so good. Because it's like, he sets, it's, I think it's called, I learned this from Dan Moran, a, a leitmotif? Leitmotif? Leitmotif, yeah, sure. Whatever. Um, of, like, the original German. theme. And then it is just... Or French or something. It is just adapted and adapted and adapted throughout the whole movie. And, and yeah. I absolutely love the score of this movie. 
So then uh, Kevin has fended off the home and their mum comes back and it's a nice touching moment. And then the whole family arrives almost immediately, which is hilarious because they just got the flight, right? They just waited yeah. a day and got the flight home. Uh, but it took her How many times long. have you seen that too? How many times have you seen it where somebody somebody gets on an earlier flight, but then they get waylaid and it takes yep. them they, all this time to get back and the other people who waited for the other flight are right behind them or ahead of them? But there yeah, is a that problem that I funny. have with this end of the movie in which the McAllister parents do not seem excited enough or happy enough. Like there, like there is an element where like a moment where they both just go into the kitchen and just leave Kevin there like in the hallway on his own. And I was like, I feel like there needs to be more fanfare uh, about this. It's very, I mean, that, that last moment is very strange. It strikes a weird beat with me. They don't know what he did. He also, Kevin has proven to be a very good cleaner of things. Yes, yes. And replacer, I assume, like, because yeah. so many things got damaged and or broken and or lost. Uh, yeah, he does a good job of cleaning up overnight. Right, but again, the, the, the movie doesn't want to have the parents yell at him for ruining the house, right? Uh, while, you know, we left you here for three days and all these things are broken, right? They don't want to have that be the tone that the movie ends on. So instead, he sort of magically cleans things up. The only thing he doesn't clean is Buzz's room. His brother, Buzz. That's a funny joke and, and his brother can be angry at him, but the parents should not be. I mean, I can see the, I can see the, the, the reasoning behind that. Um, I'm okay because they don't know what he's gone through. I'm okay with them being, you know, they just, they flew to Paris and back and had their vacation ruined because of this mistake that they made. So, you know, I, I, I'm okay with it being tempered. I actually was thinking like, I wasn't thinking that the family was going to come back. I was thinking if I was, if I was on that plane with my, all my children and my, you know, and and my, uh, brother-in-law's children or whatever, and we were going to Paris for Christmas week and little Kevin was left home alone. What would I do? And I think the answer would be that I would volunteer to fly home. But I, I don't think I would have the whole family turn around. Um, I, get, I get, again, why they want the closure of everybody back in the house at the end of the movie. But that seemed, that's like, let everybody else, like one of the parents who forgot their son, you get to go home and be with the son. But you don't bring the whole family back. Don't waste your vacation. Let, let everybody else have a good time. That is a good point. It is not necessary that everybody had to come home. Right. <laughs> Catherine O'Hara coming home makes sense, right? And I, I, it actually made sense that she did that. Um, but again, logically, okay. But I understand why a lot of my things in this are like, I can see why the movie does these things because it, the movie wants to tell the story it wants to tell, right? So it's like, yeah, they probably should have stayed, but you know what? I want everybody in the house in the end like I have them in the beginning. You know, yeah, we could just start it with... Uh, you know, with him being left behind, but we want you to feel sympathetic about it. And you want to, you want him, I, everything that happens in this movie, you can see why it's constructed that way, but it's fine because, you know, they're telling the story they want to tell. And, uh, and so they want to hit these particular beats and it's, I completely forgive it. Overall thoughts of the movie. I actually realized I asked you this question and then we skipped over it. <laughs> yeah. No, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a, a fun movie. Liked it. Um, yeah, I did like it. I, I enjoy the, I enjoy, uh, I, I enjoy the cartoon part. It, it it moves really fast and is a lot of fun. The 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 assault and him repelling them that, that I thought was the entire movie. Um, I think that I think that part is really great. I like the uh, like I said, I like the bit with the 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 recurring bit with the guy, the salt man. It actually reminds me a little bit of in. Have you seen Groundhog Day? Have we talked about Groundhog yeah, Day? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen it. It reminds me of the old the old man in Groundhog Day that he keeps coming back and he can't save him. It's a little bit like that, where it's sort of this this um, 
a little more touching. I mean, he's initially scary, but he turns out to have this sort of sad story. In the end, we see that he's taken Kevin's advice and reunited with his son and his son's family. And it sort of like runs through the movie. Um, and I really like the scene where they're talking in the church. I think that's got some nice touching moments and also some funny moments. Um, so that part is that part is fun. Um, the John Candy thing is hilarious and great. Um, the if if I had a complaint about it, I would say it's that in that first hour and fifteen. Um, I'd, I'd probably like a less premise set up at the beginning. Uh, you know, they, even though it moves fast, it's like, yeah, we get it. He's home alone. We get it. And yeah. I don't know that middle part is kind of, um, where he's home alone is a little bit mushy. I kind of, I kind of wanted more wacky stuff, like more montages of, of, uh, a nine-year-old doing all the things that he's never allowed to do. And, um, I, I, I don't know. I, I felt like if we're going to have, if this is the movie that you're making and not just wall to wall assault by the burglars, I expected it to be maybe like a little bit more of that time with him. Like kid, you're home alone. Your parents, your parents are gone. You can do anything. And he does some of it, but you know, he also makes himself macaroni and cheese. So I don't know. Um, home alone you know, two ma- is the movie for you. Yeah, maybe so. Because also at that point, right? Like the way that they can kind of make it work more is for Kevin, it's, it happened again. So this time he knows there's no magic involved. So he goes wild. Ah, uh, yeah, fair enough. Maybe he feels some responsibility the first time because he's made yeah. his parents disappear. We don't make too fine a point on it, but he does think that he has used mental powers to make his entire family vanish from the face of the earth. So yeah, fair fair point. Yeah, good good movie. So yeah, I, I recommend Home Alone 2 for you. It's also a Christmas movie, so yeah, know, sure. it's still in the season. Tis the season, yeah, absolutely. I'll check it out. That that might be that might be fun. And this was on HBO Go. I didn't even have to rent it. It was just right there for the for the season. Perfect. All right, I think that wraps it up. Well, thank you, Mike. You're one for one yes. in recommending movies yes. for me to watch that I like. And uh, and I'm going to say I I am still I, I still have a pretty good record with you because neither of us really like gremlins we did hear from people by the way who said we just don't understand gremlins it's like whatever (laughs) i think i understand it pretty well Mm -hmm. i did hear um the flop house was praising gremlins 2 again and i don't think i would like gremlins 2 but it sounds like like home alone 2 it sounds like gremlins 2 is like hey you know what people really liked in gremlins is all those gremlins doing crazy stuff let's do a whole movie of that where we just go to town it's like yeah you see that's the thing that was the bit that i hated (laughs) it is the part that i hated too but like if you're going to be that then embrace that part because then then the movie is pure right then the movie is about one thing which is we're going to have lots of gremlins and i can even if that might not be the movie for me i can appreciate that that's the movie where they're like oh you know what people really liked is this let's do that which home alone 2 apparently is very similar in that way fine give the people what they want if you want to find the show notes for this week, including uh, the link to get to our voting form for the uh, for the third annual Upgradies, you want to head over to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 119. That is where you will find our links and everything for this episode. I want to take a moment again to thank our lovely sponsors, Encapsula, Foot Cardigan, Eero, and Away. If you want to find Jason online, he's at sixcolors.com. Uh, I, and also at Jsnell, J-S-N-E-L-L on Twitter. I am at iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. We'll be back next time with another episode of Upgrade. Until then, say goodbye, Mr. Snow. Ah! Oh, you did it again. Why did you do oh, <sighs> I did the slap, too. Yeah, I got that. That's it, never again. <laughs> <laughs>